Good afternoon, everyone. How are you guys doing? What's going on? Welcome to episode 9 of Merchants of Novigrad, a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss everything went. Today with me is my trusty co-host, Baby Joseph, commonly known as BJ. And as you guys can see, this time around, we have not one but two amazing guests. The Gwent Challenger winner and one of the most pl- prolific competitive players, Early Babes. And the official Gwent tournament caster and the object of countless puns made by Jaguaris, Impetuous Panda. How are you guys doing? Very good. Thanks. How are you guys? I'm good too. I'm all good, good too. all good. Uh, before we actually start, a few words to our viewers. Um, guys, if you have any questions to our guests, for our guests, uh, you can ask them in chat. Uh, my dear friend BJ has been charged with the task of collecting the more interesting ones, and we are going to try to answer them as we go. Also, if you want to um, stay in touch off stream, you can follow us on Twitter at Novigrad Podcast, and if YouTube is the platform where you would rather watch the episode, it is going to be uploaded to my YouTube channel in a couple of hours. So, without further ado, uh, the first segment, what have you been up to? Any New Year's resolution, guys? Anything exciting happening? Uh, I wouldn't say I have any resolutions, but definitely going to be trying to uh, get in shape for World Masters in Gwent. And yeah, just playing playing more of the game than I have been uh, the past couple of months. That, that could probably count as a resolution, I guess. Um, yeah. I guess similar for me, I think. I think I'm going to do a lot more Gwent stuff. Obviously, living with Freddy now makes it easier and more exciting to do that kind of stuff as well. And uh, also, personally, I want to kind of... Um, it's like the first time I'm living independently, let's say. And I want to kind of take advantage to improve myself, like in terms of, I don't know, living with someone else. And I'm getting into baking now. So mostly oh, just wow. like self-improvement. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Cool. Yeah, I made some cookies. Baking. I didn't like them. <laughs> I, I like them, but I mean, you can't have too many cookies. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and, and chat, if you are wondering how how uh, Panda made it to uh, this show, he basically you know sent us some stuff, some cookies and and and, and cakes, and you know yeah. that basically sealed the deal. <laughs> but yeah, how is how is that's life as as roommates? Because um, I can imagine that not everyone in chat knew that you guys uh, live together. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all right. <laughs> uh, I was living alone before for a year. It's a bit weird, you know, uh, moving in with someone and and uh, that whole process of just you know having to be very clean and uh, you know quiet at night time and stuff like that. But you know, uh, it's nice having him around to to talk to, especially about games and uh, <laughs> you know all the esports stuff that's going on. But yeah. Oh yeah, we are definitely gonna talk about esports more. Um, but do you guys enjoy Warsaw? Because I imagine it must have been huge to move from another country to Poland. I I I realize you are somewhat accustomed to Warsaw because uh, you attended the tournaments, but those were mostly short stays. So how is it different to you know actually living in the city and experiencing it every single day? Um, for me, I think I mean coming from Madrid, obviously. Which- hot climate overall in summer and also like not hot in the winter but still pretty warm um the biggest shock i think was the daylight hours it being dark at 4 p.m meant that you kind of had to try and shift your schedule a bit towards the morning or else you don't really get any sunlight so i'm not a vampire just yet so um, that's kind of a bad part but everything else is pretty nice i think the, the quality of life is pretty good um it's pretty cheap compared to anywhere else in europe i think it's also a big thing and it's a nice city. I mean, it has a lot of culture. It has a lot of, yeah, interesting things to do. Not 
the greatest city in Europe, but a pretty nice city overall. Yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot as well. Just chill, cheap, and uh, yeah, just a good place to be. <laughs> yeah, if, if you think it's cold, I think one of the ways to solve that problem is to just... You know, go for a walk or 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 go and and then you know jog a little bit around the city. And speaking of jogging and running and any kind of physical activity, five k with Buja earlier today. How did it <laughs> yes. go? Um, I think it went according to plan. That's the my estimates were, were correct. Uh, Buja, obviously, for people that don't know, is pretty much an elite runner of sorts. Um, he's preparing for a marathon now. So I didn't really plan to beat. I mean, I had I tried to beat him, but that wasn't gonna happen. I think, and I just started running again um, like a month ago, and not that regularly. So, but it was nice. I mean, he finished I think like third overall. So you could tell he's like at a very high level. Like it's a oh, wow. race with like five k people, and um, I finished like a minute or two after him. So not terrible, not but too bad. Yeah. Yeah, kind of okay. How, how did you? Not up? great, but not terrible. Yeah, how, I think how I was like. Top fifty, probably in in like the total. So oh, wow, that's okay. really good. It's <laughs> impressive, man. So how did how did you end up running uh, with Buja? Um. Well, when I moved here, I told him that I, I knew he was running to get back into it. So uh, I kind I of put it like as a goal to to come here. I want to do a half marathon before um, I leave Warsaw. If I leave in May, which I'm not sure about yet. Um. So that was one of the goals. So obviously having Burge as like someone to look up to and like a mentor and that kind of thing. And yeah. someone to run with is is nice. I took advantage, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and to check all the boxes, uh, BJ, how are you doing, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing great, man. Like uh, life has been treating me very well lately. I got a got a job, full time job now, so I don't have that much time for streaming anymore. But I try to stream part time now. So I tried to make a combination out of working and like streaming. Um, inside of that, yeah, I tried to to still uh, work on some content for Gwent. So yeah, I mean, almost done with my studies as well. So yeah, things are looking bright. Uh, Speaking of Gwent content, how has Gwent been treating you guys? Uh, yeah, you you don't have to go into specifics. <laughs> just overall, how how do you feel about Gwent right now? Yeah, I think uh, I took a bit of a break, uh, and I think Panda did as well, um, kind of after Iron Judgment happened. Uh, so I didn't really play at all for like a couple of months, and I think that's really helped. Uh, coming back to it feels a lot, you know, a lot more fresh. Um, and the game can be frustrating sometimes, as it always <laughs> is when you're trying to climb and improve, right, and, and be better. But uh, it, it definitely feels not too bad and, and quite, yeah, uh, quite new and, and different. A lot of the stuff I see a lot of people complaining about things, but I'm not really feeling a similar, um, you know, sort of being tired with the meta or whatever, because I haven't been, uh, you know, playing it <laughs> that much. So, um, yeah, no, it's going good. Yeah, you, you can't be tired of meta if you're not playing. Are you smart, <laughs> exactly. Are you smart, You're smart, yeah. <laughs> and Panda, because I I was checking your Twitter and a while ago, um, you tweeted that it was your goal to make it back to pro rank. Mm -hmm. So how are we doing in that department? I mean, it's not really a. I wanted to get back, but it wasn't really a goal because I think <laughs> I mean, I for those that don't know, I played ladder like when I used to play a lot like back in like, open beta days. Um, I guess I was a pretty accomplished player on ladder, so getting back to pro rank isn't really something difficult. You just have to put in the time and play the games, obviously. 
But yeah, like Friday, I took a bit of a break uh, with the move and everything in October, November. And then in December, um, we were, once we were both here, I think we both played a lot. And uh, yeah, I got back into Pro Ladder easily. But then I had the Christmas break and I wasn't top 500. So I have to climb back up this season again, which is not ideal. But <laughs> I'm not a player, so I don't really need to be in Pro Ladder and like grind out all these games. I can just take it more chill, just learn the meta. As long as I know the decks, and I know what's happening. Um, that's enough for me, I guess. Oh, yeah, definitely. And BJ, because I've heard there's been rumors that you are now a triple scenario aficionado. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I try, I try now. It all started out with triple siege, playing caretaker and renew in the scenario. Wow. <laughs> and it actually won me a lot of games. And then I was with my buddy Drift playing and we started creating these decks in every faction. So now I have five of the, five, five of the six factions covered with triple scenario. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because guys, if you are not aware, BJ has these short-lived obsessions with certain concepts. Back in the day, he tried to turn everything into a shoot deck. <laughs> now it's triple scenario everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I got to get fun out of uh, certain uh, strategies, right? Oh yeah, so and when it, when it comes creator. to... You are a content creator, and you know if you if you play exactly the same meta decks everyone else is playing, I guess your viewers will, would be not too happy about that. I mean, they would just watch someone else that's better at the game, right? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> but when it comes to strategies and, and making your own decks, you guys live together. How does it affect your your playstyle and and you know the, the deck building process? Are you guys brainstorming a lot? Are you exchanging ideas, improving your decks? Uh, we're mostly just sending, copy and pasting the deck list, and <laughs> that's it, basically. <laughs> and we talk about some things, and I'll, we're in call a lot with Game King. I think uh, we formed kind of a bond the past year and like the past month, especially. So we're on Discord calls a lot together, and then obviously we talk about different decks and what's broken and what's you know what to play and like what's the best for each faction and uh, brainstorming him a lot as well, but not so much in person. We don't just go to the kitchen table and start thinking about you know what the best decks are more like in discord call basically yeah one thing yeah, that was kind of funny yeah go ahead for the yeah we could just go downstairs but discord is easier so <laughs> yeah. i think everyone is doing that just just you know you don't need to walk up walk uh, upstairs to tell me about something just take, send me a, a message or on yeah. whatsapp or discord mm -hmm. exactly and I, what I was wondering about, because um, you guys said that you're going to stay in Warsaw for a couple more months, so it is entirely possible that you're going to still be living in Warsaw during the World Masters. So I was oh, wondering how the fact that you guys you know, are friends and living together is going to affect your commentating Panda on, on Freddy's place. <laughs> um, it'll be interesting, but I think even before we moved in together... He was one of the players that I had the most contact and the most relationship with anyway. So if there was any bias, you could have seen it before. But I think even on some broadcasts, there's like a negative bias in a in a joking and, you know, teasing kind of way that Freddie hates. But um, yeah, I think it won't change too much. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm going to be impartial and neutral as a caster. I think it's a pretty important thing to do when you're a broadcast talent. So on that front, I think everything will remain pretty much the same. Maybe a few more jokes here and there, but... <laughs> Just, just, just a few, but of course, of course, Freddy is not hearing what you are saying on on uh, on yeah, during the tournament. 
He's playing, he's focusing on the game. So it must be interesting. It's going to be an interesting experience just playing and then... Hmm, maybe I should watch and see what Panda was talking about, <laughs> what he was, was telling viewers about me. A lot of times... So, some nasty stuff? Yeah. A lot of times I say things when he's not actually playing, just as an offhand comment about him <laughs> in the tournament and stuff. So he normally catches most of them, or someone tells him. So he always comes back to me and tells me, like, Yo, Panda, don't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and do you guys plan to create content together? Because Panda used to stream, and I remember that was a while ago. That was shortly before the Artifact release, where you said you're going to... Uh, divide your time between streaming Gwent and streaming Artifact. Do you have any plans to return to Gwent as a streamer, as a content creator? Um, That's a tough question. It kind of depends. Uh, obviously, I'll be playing Gwent a lot, but there's also a lot of uh, new games coming out soon that I want to try. I want to you know, see what kind of the, the like, potential is in, in the card game. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, scene in general like runeterra for example so i'm not too sure i have to fix some issues with my pc setup still um, one of my monitors didn't survive the move apparently so i have to oh, buy a new one and the internet we've had some issues so i haven't really given it a good solid try to, to stream right now it seems it's kind of fixed mm -hmm. so i think in the next week or two um or maybe even like after the patches and the meta changes a bit when it gets more interesting for me because I don't really need to play in January. I don't have to play the ladder. I don't have to be a top-ranked player because that's not my role in Gwent. So I have more freedom in that regard. So I think there'll be definitely a higher chance at streams now that I'm living here, but no guarantees. Yeah, and, and Freddy, because you said, again, on Twitter, that you're going to be playing quite a lot in the uh, next couple of months. Are you also going to stream? Because I think that some people were worried that you are now a full-time private investigator rather than a player. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing yeah, I'm doing a lot of uh, investigative work. No, um, but, uh, <laughs> no, I'd, uh, we'll see. It kind of is easier not to stream, um, you know, especially when you're trying to uh, climb the ladder and, and prepare for tournaments. Like not so much now, but particularly when it gets closer to the World Masters, I don't really want to, you know, be playing all the time and giving away uh, strategies and decks and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of hoping I can stream a bit this month and next month, um, you know, just to uh, keep, uh, I guess, a tie to the community uh, and, you know, all the people who've watched me for a while. But I don't really see myself doing, uh, you know, streaming um, like long term in the same way that I used to just because um, like the hours that I was spending on it, it wasn't really like worth it financially. And I just you know, figure uh, I've kind of lost my mojo uh, a little bit in that regard. But yeah, we'll be doing, you know, the occasional stream if the internet is hopefully uh, working yeah. as it should be. And maybe I'll join Panda on his or he can come to mine. Yeah, yeah it, will be, it will be nice because when I was thinking about you guys streaming together and just playing together on, on stream, it instantly reminded me of of uh, Life Coach and Super yeah. JJ doing that, and I was telling everyone: imagine you are a random player and you queued into Life Coach playing together <laughs> with Super JJ. You are in trouble, boy. Oof. Yeah. And BJ, what about you? What about your stream? Because uh, I think that your hours have decreased significantly the last couple of yeah. months. Exactly. Like as I mentioned before, I got a full-time job now. I had to I had to uh, be busy with all my studies, so I did not stream the entire month of November. And I only did maybe a couple streams during December, 
So I'm trying to stream a little bit more now, at least uh, so I can uh, stream part, uh, part time. Um, but the thing is, when you work all day and you come home, then personally, I usually feel uh, very tired. Um, so I don't have the energy to stream uh, anymore. But I, I will try to stream at least a couple of times a week now. And yeah, like, like what Freddie said as well, like, <clears throat> um, I, I just spent way too much time on Twitch uh, back in the day. Uh, I think we lost Panda. <laughs> we lost Panda. We, we, we lost Panda, the new meme. I'm back. What happened, Panda? Always, the internet, I don't know, I just, all of a sudden, boom, like, black screen. Face. Yeah, Panda was just like, I'm, I'm tired of this BJ bullshit, I'm out of here. Uh, this is the internet stuff we're talking about. We have to make some very threatening calls tomorrow and try and figure this out. <laughs> yeah. To wrap up my, my, my story. Um, yeah, I, I just, it, it's not worth the time to spend uh, so much mm. time on, on Twitch anymore. There are lots of other things to do. Um, but I, I, I love streaming, so I, I try to do it because uh, it's nice to interact with the Twitch chat, uh, having some fun, getting some entertainment value, you know, so you can go get those clips for the deadline show. Oh, yeah. And, uh... <laughs> the last one was pretty spicy and you got punished. Uh, it was perfect. I'm not sure if Panda and Freddy are actually aware of what happened. Nope. Um, so BJ played against a guy whose name was uh, Observe a Master in Action or, or something like that and, and he was like Master in Action more like Pleb in Action and then the guy <laughs> made like a big 30 something point play and completely yeah. punished BJ <laughs> <laughs> I did not say that though, man. <laughs> but yeah but yeah streaming is always tough when, um, when you have the option to work because obviously uh working even a part-time job is more financially responsible than streaming. Mm -hmm, yes. And and when it comes to that, sometimes you get the offer to do a sponsor stream. And I, I think Freddie can tell us a little bit more about that. He's been playing Teppen. <laughs> and, you know, there, there's, there's no shame in, in doing sponsor content whatsoever. I think everyone understands that uh, you know, as a streamer, you, you are looking for any income wherever you can. So, you know, you've been playing Teppen. Did you actually like it? Like, do you plan to play the game more or do you plan to try out some other games in the meantime? Or are you just going to focus solely on Gwent for the time being? Uh, Teppen, yeah. Teppen's actually... <laughs> it's up there right now. It's If if it's not Gwent, I'm playing Teppen. So, um, and they announced sort of a, a World Masters type tour thing, which has not been prize pools and stuff confirmed yet. But, uh, you know, you can qualify by by climbing high on the ladder every month so i'll be playing that still and i think there's even going to be a tournament that i'm in this month so i'll, I'll stream that but uh yeah it happens a lot of fun like my sponsorship with it's ended now so um i don't have to stream it anymore um but the game is is actually like i think it's the best mobile only game i've ever played for sure uh, and it's you know definitely up there in terms of card games that i've played um but uh yeah no I, I recommend it um, if if you want a mobile only thing to play. It's it's good. Yeah, and Panda, you are uh, going to explore a little bit more of Runeterra. That's what you said before the show. Yeah, um, I played the two like beta phases, and I thought it was pretty interesting. And obviously, when you're working and you're specializing in like the strategy card game uh, area of esports, it's kind of limited in its scope and its potential, and it's you know. 
um, opportunities that you have. And Runeterra is maybe the game, other than Artifact, but we all know how that ended, that has the most potential in terms of um, maybe not you know Twitch numbers and prize money and all this, but just having Riot as a parent company and a backer is already a huge guarantee. So mm -hmm. I'm interested to see where that goes, if it goes very competitive, if it stays more casual, but I'll definitely be exploring it. And I played some Tevin as well um, with Freddy, and I think Genkin as well played quite a bit. So, yeah, I think Tevin's also a very good game. Uh, it has its own, like, different uh, thing altogether, but it's really fun. And, like, for a mobile game that you play for, like, a little bit every day, it's, it's really fun. And how do you divide your time between Gwent and other games? Is it, are you just playing whatever you feel like playing, or, or do you keep in mind that, hey, I'm a caster or a, a professional player, I need to play this game? <laughs> I, I think each person knows, like... And I know as a caster how, I mean, when I was not playing Gwent super regularly, like this past year, basically, because like the events were more spaced out and, you know, the whole thing was kind of uh, not much uh, inertia with it, basically. I would just play before the events. And obviously, Gwent hasn't changed that much. I played all of Homecoming. I played all the metas, basically. So I would just learn um, the meta and learn the best decks and understand all the strategies. And that would be kind of what I needed to do for tournaments. Now I'll be playing a bit more regularly, but still. I don't think, I don't see myself returning to the point where I was playing Gwent, you know, eight hours a day, every day, like top of the ladder, like, and, and consistently grinding up to those top spots because I don't need to. And at the end of the day, um, it, I enjoy Gwent, but not in the way I used to. And I, I like having time to explore, you know, other games like indie games and RPGs and, and different yeah. stuff for the time I have. I can totally get you uh, when you say that. Like, I've been... Uh... Playing so much Gwen that I had no time to finish Red Dead Redemption 2. And then finally, I decided to, to finish that game. It's a really cool game. Um, happy that I spent my time on that game to finish it. So, yeah, I can totally get your point there. Oh, yeah. I think that's, yeah. you know, to, to a certain degree, everyone um, can somewhat uh, understand what Panda is talking about. Yeah, mm. even I think even McBeard, McBeard uh, started uh, playing some RPGs. Oh, that's uh, what he said he was going to do. I'm not sure if that's actually happening. I, I mean, he did. He did stream. Uh, what? Uh, what's the God of War? Oh, it's a pretty good game. Yeah, he did stream that for a while. So, but I guess now is the time to you know get invested yeah. into Gwent again with season two. Yeah, that's that's always the problem that I have because um, other than Gwent, I'm a huge Path of Exile fan. So whenever you know a Gwent expansion and Poe expansion kind of line up. <laughs> I have a problem because I have to decide what I'm going to play. <laughs> and my viewership is, is Gwent-based. And then I have to stream Gwent. But sometimes I just catch myself streaming Gwent and thinking absolutely about nothing else but PoE. Mm. Yeah, definitely for me, I found that not feeling like I have to stream and in fact, just not streaming at all really for like a month or two uh, just kind of opens up. Yeah, it's a, a lot more fun to play whatever you feel like. And if you play Gwent, then it's a more enjoyable experience and you feel like you're doing it because you want to rather than, uh, you know, just because you feel like you owe your audience something or, you know, you want to keep the money coming in from Twitch or whatever the mm -hmm. reason might be. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of good games out there. So. Well, if, if, in the end, this is a Gwent podcast. We are supposed to talk about Gwent. <laughs> so I think um, with that being said, we can move to uh, the next segment, which is what's happening in Gwent. And surprisingly, despite um, the lack of patch, a lot is happening. Um, we didn't really have the chance to talk about the expansion. Um, actually, the last episode of our show, we were kind of um, surprised by the fact that there is an expansion. We thought it's going to be pretty uh, 
slow and, and boring episode when where we just discuss things among ourselves and then all of a sudden we got an expansion um so yeah guys your opinion on how uh, cdpr handled uh merchants of the of or, or on, on how it was released without any kind of marketing with without any kind of uh, review campaign that you know these are things we were used to and all of a sudden you just wake up oh there's an expansion your, uh, yeah, your take I, yeah. oh. go ahead freddy uh yeah when i first saw it release i thought i i'm pretty sure they made some kind of um like slight mistake on the timings or something right uh, i seem to recall that being the case but um yeah i don't know how big of an effect like actually doing the the pre-marketing and all the card reveals and stuff uh has like i think a lot of people quite enjoy just jumping in and finding all these new cards and actually gives a bit more time to sort of um do some experimentation yourself rather than just like you know looking at all the different videos on cards and oh new cards let's talk about how good they are from you know uh, streamers and youtubers and whatnot um so I, I i don't you know dislike necessarily i know a lot of uh the you know um gwent partners are probably not too happy that they didn't get to reveal stuff because it's always <laughs> nice to be able to do that um on twitter or twitch and uh yeah understandably but uh yeah i think it was an okay uh, release after all even with the slight hiccup at the start yeah i think it, it kind of aligned with um at least me coming back to playing like grinding seriously and getting back into pro rank and like learning all the meta decks. So it was a fresh experience to have a surprise expansion and new cards to deal with to make that more enjoyable, I think. So it was fun. Um, I think also the expansion, the cards they added and the different things they added were very new um, with scenarios and all these different stuff. So it made it like, yeah, fun to try and solve the meta quickly and, and kind of play the better decks. I know we were, we were playing like some elves, Rodea stuff early on. That was, that's what I used to climb to pro rank. So. Uh, the fun yeah, yeah. BJ, your your take on on how it was released because obviously you are also a Gwent partner. Uh, you already yes. revealed your card the previous expansion, so I I, I doubt you'd get the chance uh, this time. But I can imagine a lot of partners being at least slightly upset about the fact that other partners got to release um, a couple of cards uh, in the previous expansions and they have to wait at least three four more months. I mean. Exactly. Like as a grand party, you have that privilege, right? To to play in uh, closed uh, uh, beta. Uh, no, not closed, uh, PDR. Closed PDR, and um, to to get those reveal, to get to reveal a card uh, for the campaign. So those things were not there, and they just yeah, they just decided to release the expansion without any notice. And for grand partner, I think. That's really unfortunate because you kind of want to, you know, uh, want to give feedback uh, on, on, on the new cards or like with the card that you can reveal, you, you can maybe some new uh, couple of uh, new viewers, you know, to your to your stream or to your YouTube uh, channel. So. Yeah, you would like to just participate in the campaign. You'd like to be part of yeah. it. Yeah, you want to be more part of it. Like otherwise, being a grand partner has no meaning anymore, you know? Yeah, I think I think you are writing an article on that as well. Yeah, I'm actually working on an article mm. article to to put out there for people to read, and hopefully CD Projekt will read it too, so they can use my feedback and my uh, suggestions uh, for for 2020. You know. Yeah, because, because I was. Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Because otherwise, because otherwise, if a grand, if you are a grandparent, you are just a grandparent for the cosmetics. You know. Um. So yeah. 
I hope uh, I can yeah, make a sta statement with it. Yeah, definitely the lack of PTR was also a bit... I know a lot of the complaints that people have now are, you know, with in terms of balance of a couple of key cards, right? Which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Oh, but, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, maybe that could have been avoided with the PTR kind of thing that they were doing beforehand um, for most, if not all, of the expansions. Yeah. So a little bit weird to at least not see that and, you know, maybe have the surprise factor, but without, you know, without the card reveals, but still with a PTR would have been kind of yeah. nice, maybe, yeah. Um, yeah. at the very least. But, yeah. Yeah, I was personally quite shocked because um, I remember that day I, I, I just started streaming and I was I was to play some arena and then at some point somebody told me, uh, do you know that there are plenty of new cards leaked on Reddit? And I was like, what? So instead of playing the game, I started reviewing the leaked cards and then an hour later somebody told me, oh, the new expansion just came out. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Similar experience it, it here. It a lot of people shocked a lot of people oh yeah but yeah that surprise is also something that's quite nice right like it, it if it comes out of the blue you're kind of like ah okay i'll actually yeah, try it and jump it's in. like guerrilla marketing yeah people are gonna talk about hey did you heard about the new expansion new expansion for gwen wait what huh and then mm. people start talking about it in, in discourse twitter uh yeah so i guess that's something you can achieve with it yeah, I guess. But other than the expansion, we are now at the very beginning of uh, the new season, the season of the wolf. And the first major complaint about the season is that there is no patch. Yeah. Guys, no your take. How do you feel about the game not being patched after an expansion without a PDR? Yeah, I think some things are clearly a bit... Uh, overtuned and and just a few cards could be changed and it would make things maybe um, a lot smoother but I guess it was like the holidays in in Poland there's also like very long holidays and then they just didn't want to touch the game um, or patch it uh, you know this month but I still think like at least a few cards could have been changed very quickly and especially now without console really being a thing it makes patching and, and pushing through updates a lot easier I think with PC it's much more streamlined and they have total control over the process. So I think we could have seen at least a few changes. Um, I think probably the meta will still develop a bit and, and <clears throat> some new strategies and new cards will counter certain things that are being very oppressive, but things like Rodea and things like maybe scenarios uh, being doomed with Caretaker, you know, I mean, certain interactions could probably change and a few more cards that were added in the expansion. Um, so a bit disappointing, but I think it's not as bad as people make it seem. It's not the worst meta we've seen in Gwent, and I think it's still pretty competitive, and most factions have viable strategies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, maybe over over this month, as Panda said, you know, uh, stuff will change a bit. Like, I know everyone was playing Mata last month, you know, at the beginning of the, um, you know, straight after the release, and everyone was saying the card was super, super, you know, OP. Uh, and it, it's a good card, but... I don't see it nearly as much now, like, you know, maybe <clears> half the time <throat> sort of thing. So, you know, potentially we could see that with Rodea decks, for example. Um, they might, you know, come down a bit in popularity if people find other things, uh, you know, to test out. But it's kind of a shame that Rodea is the, <laughs> like, the focal point of the meta because as a card, it kind of just is um, promoting... The, the single copy card archetypes, right? And and those are kind of, in my opinion, not the most fun um, and not super diverse in terms of how they play all those decks. So, um, but you know, the, there's there's other stuff that's um, that's good, like monsters and northern realms and whatnot. So, um, 
you know, there's good and bad, I guess. Oh, it's definitely yeah. not the worst meta we've had. But, uh, BJ, I would like to hear your opinion on the matter as well. I mean, on the meta or about the balance patch? Uh, like, the lack of any, no, yeah, the, any balance patch. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like it's a missed opportunity if you don't balance anything. And they used to say, like, if a card is being uh, played a lot, they will uh, change it. And I don't know. I, I did not see the, the stats, but I, I believe they was being played a lot. So... You know, maybe they should have slightly nerfed it, maybe in provisions, um, because it is a neutral after all, it's not a faction card, and maybe they could have given some buffs or some nerfs to some other cards, just slight ones, at least do something, because, I, I, yeah, I do, I do think it's a missed opportunity, but I I feel like they they wanted to play it safe and not change anything, because it's season two, competitive season, Um mm -hmm. Maybe they opted to do that. There was also holidays. Maybe they have not even thought of uh, patching anything because it was holidays. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, one thing that we have to remember is that um, before Christmas, Radea was not that popular. I think Radea, as, as Freddy put it, the focal point of the meta, um, started to appear somewhere between Christmas and New Year's. So, obviously, when CDPR were uh, um, taking their vacation break, they yeah. were on vacation and they came back last Tuesday and the yeah. patch dropped or the new season dropped last Wednesday. So they effectively had a day to think about it. So if you keep that in mind, I think they they uh, had a look at their data at you know how many people are playing, what is the player retention, what people are playing. And based on that, they, they decided they can afford waiting another month with any balance uh, changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was, that was definitely part of it. I mean, when I was playing all my games, basically, and together pro rank and, and kind of stay there, it was like the first two weeks of the patch, because then over Christmas break, I didn't really play that much. And there was definitely a different meta between those first two weeks. And like Call of Harmony, Squire deck wasn't really a thing. It was mostly just uh, Mystic Echo or like the Elf variant that wasn't Call of Harmony. It was just normal with like, well, me and Freddy were playing like this, mm. with like the Bruver leader. And... Cool. Uh, NR wasn't necessarily always Radea. It was just a normal version with just Siege Engines and, and the Siege uh, thing as well. Monsters wasn't oh, really a thing. Yeah. And then like the Arrakis Queen deck came after, which I think is probably one of the stronger, maybe kind of Mimi, but pretty strong monster decks that came like after the break, basically. So when I came back from break, there was like a lot of new decks that I hadn't been playing or seeing before. So already it was a big shift at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be what happened to, to like CDPR was on holiday. Mm -hmm. They came back and then... There was like new developments in the meta and they're like, okay, we'll just wait and see and then just patch next month. Yeah, that was exactly my experience because I left uh, for a week oh, and the first Christmas day, the meta was still not established. And then I, I got back home after a week and um, all of a sudden there was a new um, meta snapshot released by both uh, Team Artusa and um, TLG. And I had a look at the decks and I was like, what? What are these decks? Where did they come <laughs> from? I've, I haven't seen them. So I can I can imagine that that was exactly how CDPR felt when they got back to um to their office and they were just surprised that you know Meta had taken this specific turn. Mm -hmm. But have you guys seen the Ocean uh, Mods video on the Mother? Yeah. Any any I, any I, thoughts? <laughs> um, I skimmed over it a bit. I think uh, I mean I like the reaction part of like reacting to what people other people in the community were doing. I think that was a pretty 
cool concept. Um, and there was a lot of reactions to the to the decision. Obviously, with the season two starting now, there's a lot on the line for a lot of pro players. Um, and not having a balance patch could maybe, you know, if there's a balance patch, it makes it very new. So maybe people that prepare together and are good at building decks and good at solving metas have like an, an upper uh, an advantage, basically. But in this case, with no balance patch, a lot of people were very disappointed. I, I know Alessio and Demorcus tweeted a few things and, and Malegion. You know, kind of the yeah. usual suspects, but <laughs> seeing a reaction to that was interesting. I think uh, something that's not really done that often, so that was cool. I think at least. Oh yeah, I the part that I liked was um, he picked a Reddit comment, and in that Reddit comment, somebody said, "Oh yeah, like you you complain about Rodea, but we are talking about six, seven decks that include Rodea and they are that are being playable. So that's the definition of diversity." And with his points he made during the video ocean might actually manage to uh, change the guy's views because in the comments of the same video he said okay you convinced me you're right like the, these decks oh. these are different decks but they feel very very semi very mid-rangey basically mm -hmm. you you play Rodea, you play mada maybe morale and 22 value cards of your choice and you have a deck mm-hmm yeah, the really the really interesting thing with with Rodea as well, which I'm not sure it's ever been the case with another kind of you know really prevalent card archetype, is the existence of Rodea decks actually increases the incentive to play Rodea decks because you have like all of these different mechanics that recycle or reuse the opponent's Rodea, like in Nilfgaard and Northern Realms or with the Hengath Sword, right? So if people are playing it, then more people want to play it, and then it's like a cycle and the 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 card is just like wildly, you know, seen everywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a bit weird that it's neutral and, and so strong, right? Maybe should have been toned down uh, a little bit. And the, and the fact that it's yeah, go ahead. The fact that it's it makes like a singleton archetype makes it so there's even less synergy than there already is in homecoming between bronzes, and it, it makes that's why it feels so mid rangey because you're just playing for points, not really any mm -hmm. like core synergies. Yeah. Um, maybe for example, like this monsters deck with <clears throat> um. Arrakis Queen and the Insectoid buffing, like that's a very different deck. And it doesn't play Rodea. It plays, you know, an, an archetype basically. Mm -hmm. um, but now with Gwen, and if they start pushing the singleton archetype more and more with other cards to support it, and, and every new expansion, there's going to be more good bronzes being added. So it makes it even easier to have one of each because they're all going to be like, like one and a half or two points above value regularly um, for a bronze. So that even makes it even worse, I think. I think the singleton archetype should kind of be a meme kind of like mm -hmm. the way shoop was and even shoop could have be seen kind of as problematic in some cases yeah. but with Rodea now it's it's even worse almost i think yeah the fun thing with Rodea is like it's so strong that you don't even play shoop in a Rodea deck like, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly i started yeah i started playing both but then people start saying no man it's not worth anymore <laughs> shoop is just 12 or 13 and don't don't play it and then i was like okay okay yeah plus when you are playing Shub, there is always that uncertainty of what you're gonna get. Yes. I there mean, is some RNG involved. Whereas when you are playing Rodea, you always get what you want. And you can make synergies based on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah but it's only when a... you played on the melee row. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact it's a proactive play as well, and a play doesn't, you can play on an empty board, you don't need any synergies to play it or to fulfill its value, makes it even worse. It's like a two-point over its value cost and normally that comes with a drawback you have to have a certain yeah. board setup you have to have a certain 
synergy working as I have, but in this case, it's literally proactive, way above the point value and opens up much more like other synergies like Ansace and, and the leader stuff and scenarios. So it is an offender in every case of, of why card is overpowered. And that's why I think we're seeing it in so mm -hmm. many decks and why it's so prevalent. Like it's not the card itself, but just everything else that it, it revolves around it basically. Yeah, because yeah. you can also uh, decide whenever you want to use this strategium. You don't. You don't have to. Uh, yeah, there's no counter the to the strategium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so you can yeah. use the strategium with another card in your hand. That's it's interesting, but that's why it makes it really good. Yeah, it's a really cool card design. Like, I kind of just wish it didn't have the singleton, you know, um, aspect to it, and that, you know, even then it would be auto include, right? But at least the decks then wouldn't be just one copy bronzes and every deck would have that really op card but then they'd at least be playing for synergy as well maybe but yeah obviously just make her weaker as well would be yeah. would be ideal yeah. right or maybe yeah. if you could remove it the, the strategic with something yeah yeah, yeah. that would even uh, because be the awesome. way this card works it could as well be renamed to radea impending doom because you often see that <laughs> people play it as their opening round three and you know that you know if you are playing against uh, Scratel, you know that the scenario is coming. If you are playing an R, you know that Unsays is coming. And Unsays with Rodea is how many points? Basically, points. 7 oh, no. plus 14 removal. Yeah. So he's 21. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unconditional 21 from, for how much? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> then. yeah. One other thing about Rodea is... Um, <clears throat> like, I kind of like... The aspect of it, especially with the Elven, the the Scotel decks, and you know the scenario, like it's really interesting because she makes the scenario, the artifact that you play, a lot safer, right? You don't really get artifact removal if you're playing that version, and the reason that it's safe is because the stratagem is uninteractive. So I guess it kind of just highlights a an issue with the the whole artifact artifact removal situation that has you know been existing for a long time, which is that. If you have these high provision artifacts that are so binary in, in whether they you know get you a lot of value or not depending on the opponent having artifact removal or not um just ends up deciding a lot of games and yeah i find it kind of interesting that she creates this problem of lack of interactivity uh, but she is at the same time solving that kind of same problem if you see what i'm saying yeah yeah when so, it comes yeah. to the um on uh, interactivity we have the scenarios and originally i was a huge fan of the scenarios i was i was looking at those cards and i thought they're amazing but then we started getting more and more decks that can cycle through a scenario in one turn which makes mm -hmm. them uninteractive and we've also seen decks that run caretaker so that you can replay your scenario your thoughts on on the overall idea of scenarios and how they are being played right now I think they're they're good. They're a nice addition to Gwen. I think they they it was a very unique thing, and I liked the idea overall. But the execution, I think, now with having a lot of leaders that can play cards in a turn and having the combo potential is a bit too dangerous. Especially with scenarios are going to highlight this. I think in the next few months probably. But overall, I think the idea of some leaders playing, you know, points and and some of them, if you look at it now, the quite limited amount of points, and then some leaders just playing cards straight up makes it very dangerous because you can do some pretty crazy things. Um, even with like Defender, um, Defenders as well, like Nilfgaard, I, I know I played a deck before with like Poison stuff, uh, you could make a certain play that makes the opponent unable to interact and then he's behind on the removals for every turn because of that. And it allows some pretty crazy combos that you just can't stop at all. So 
I think scenarios in Radea and, and stuff like that are going to be a problem, but leaders that can play cards going forward are going to become a problem as well because oh, they're yeah. just going to be really good value all the time, like Mystic Echo as well, and pretty much everything that can combo different cards in one single turn because it doesn't allow a window for the opponent to react. Oh yeah, we are definitely going to talk about the leaders and the lack of changes in that department. <clears throat> um, but yeah, Freddy, scenarios. How do you like them? And, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, same as Panda. I think they're a cool mechanic. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like um, Gwent takes ideas from other card games, like particularly Magic, uh, for example, and tries to sort of just throw them into the Gwent formula. Like we had this a bit with Create, um, and these scenarios are kind of like sagas in Magic, right? Um, I think there was also another mechanic that I'm forgetting that um yeah i i guess the fee and the whole profit and stuff from um from syndicate is is taken from uh, energy or something that was a failed sort of magic concept um but in this case i think it works quite well um i think there's a bit of an issue in terms of them being artifacts and the the artifact removal yeah as i already mentioned um that sort of debate on whether you know maybe artifacts should not be removable but then you have to balance them and maybe then they're still very oppressive and horrible um so it's it's quite tricky like maybe the way to do it is just say okay scenarios are kind of like stratagems and they can't be actually interacted with at all but you'd have to tone them down a lot or you know increase the conditions with which they can be met mm -hmm. um something like that there's not really like an easy easy solution for for scenarios without kind of changing artifacts in general i think either you like make them way too bad by like increasing the provisions a lot or um you know uh or way too good still and, and very abusable with these combos and stuff yeah exactly yeah. Uh, i think that a very popular um suggestion was to um make them uh somewhat limited one chapter per turn but then you have yeah, an artifact that's that that's too. 14 provisions or 12 provisions. That's, that's, that's a lot. That can be removed. So imagine putting that down and then getting it removed by a 4-provision bronze neutral. So I you mean, are missing out on a lot of value. Risk, right? It's your own risk to play that card. In that but, yeah, but then the card becomes high risk, low reward. Also, the fact that it sits at the like 14, 13 provision range makes it high risk, high reward, if it would sit at a lower range and had a lower total point value overall, I think that would make it much healthier because right now you play it, doesn't get removed, great. Just got, you know, 18, 19 points for 14, great value, fantastic. It gets removed, you're fucked, you lost the game. Like the exactly. rounds, the game's over basically because Gwent yeah. at a high level is very few points difference. So if it sits at a, at a nine, you know, eight to 10 provision range and, and obviously an equal point of value overall, it makes it much healthier because if it gets removed, it's fine, but it's not the end of the world. And if it stays on the board, it's a good play still, but it's not going to win you the game like automatically. So I think the less binary gaps there are in like provisions and points, um, and those kind of uh, interactions at least, it's going to be a healthier state overall for Gwent. Yeah. I think. Another problem with their high provision cost is basically they made Mada auto include <laughs> because you are always going to get the scenario. No, I mean, in Scortel, you have Oak, which is one proficient more than the scenario, but in most cases, uh, Mata will draw you the scenario, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, every deck is, it has yeah. a way to get their scenario if they're playing it right. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I feel like that's maybe more an issue with, with the scenario rather than 
matter necessarily, right? Like as Panda was saying, if you maybe just decrease the provisions that it costs and and the points it could generate, then that would kind of. Yeah, I really like that um, <laughs> suggestion. Yeah, me too. I think it just makes sense. I mean, and if you look at it, most I think most high high provision uh, play uh, cards like thirteen fourteen provision cards should be uh, situational and and should be cards that you have to find the right boards here for them to get that value. Mm -hmm. And I mean scenarios. Okay, sure, you have to meet the scenario thing, but I mean I think no one's stupid enough to not put in I don't know death wish in their deck or not put in you know yeah. aristocrats when you have to complete that. So <laughs> like Igni, for example, is a great card. You can get a really high point value. And it costs a lot, but you have to find the right synergy. You have to kind of play to get those points. Whereas cards like uh, the scenarios and even, I don't know, I think a lot of NR top-end cards are very easy to find a lot of value in them. Like oh, yeah. Lupa and Palibor. I think those cards are also problematic. I think the very high-end provision cards should have a big element of, of you know finding the right board state for it. Not just like mm -hmm. play it and you're good to go. Like Rodea as well. Yeah, I, I think that you, you mentioned NR gold, and I think that the reward golds, uh, Falibor, Philippa, Unsays, they somewhat contribute to the fact that Gwent feels a little bit more mid-range than before. Mm -hmm. At least mm -hmm. from other realms, yeah. Yeah, one thing I'll also say about the whole meta and being able to find the scenarios, like I think it's actually maybe a good thing that <laughs> these these things exist. Like if meta didn't exist or if you couldn't, you know, call of harmony out your scenario then i feel like a lot more games would actually be decided by whether or not you drew your scenario uh, and even now like a fair amount of games are you know did you get your idea or your tutor into a day and maybe you just lost because you didn't um kind of thing uh, especially when you're playing these sort of low synergy decks with one copy bronzes then the the top end of the deck is very important to draw uh, and you know you're just throwing away the bronzes kind of as filler and you really don't want to draw those in round three or whatever so um in some way, the consistency is actually helping with with that problem. I think, um, with in terms of the balancing of of these kind of big um, cards that we've been talking about. Yeah, consistency consistency is one thing, but the question is also: Do we want to have neutrals that are basically auto include? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um... in the past we haven't. <laughs> Unicorns and uh, yeah. Karanex were nerfed very hard along with the damage. And, and the Wujia Trio was, was nerfed quite significantly. I, I, I still remember those day, days, early homecoming. Ugh, the neutral meta. Witcher oh. deck. Play a four-point card that buffs all your Witchers. Great tempo. <laughs> <laughs> we actually see the Witcher's deck um, resurface in the seasonal mode. Yeah. Seasonal mm. mode now. Which is kind of cool, though. Yeah. I've not played it yet, but um, I want to try it. I think another card that's that's somewhat problematic, and it's not played in every deck, but in some decks, is Morale. I mean, is it problematic? Mm. He is basically cheaper and better Gontor Odim. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most people didn't even know Gontor Odim was in the, de in the, in the game right now, so that's also a thing. <laughs> I mean, he That's is true. nine and deploy poison or a poison. That's, mm. That could be a lot of points. Yeah, I think mean, poison. Uh, power creep, right? An example yeah. of that. Yeah. He, he, makes, he makes certain archetypes better, which is nice, like poison NG. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I feel like he's the kind of neutral card that's good for the game because it supports a lot of factions and a lot of archetypes without yeah. being, you know, auto include. Um, you know, it's an option, but, but not. You know, necessarily overpowered um, you know purify you can, you can answer it and purify it yeah exactly like 
but it's nice that you have a card like that that can be is diverse around certain factions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, personally, I'm just not too sure about you know five power nine provisions. I think they could change some things uh, when yeah, it comes to um, it's 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 value and 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 cost. Yeah, more so. I just like to see sort of some of the really unplayable cards get changed. Maybe I feel that's might that might be a healthier way to address it. You know, bring Gorta down in provisions, or just change him, or um, maybe even change some stuff like Geralt and Leo kind of stuff. You know, yeah. um, which aren't really seeing play because Poison just over you know uh, overshadows them a bit. Um, yeah, I think generally buffing is kind of more fun than nerfing because if you just nerf the good stuff, then a lot of the bad stuff is still not going to be playable and you just get uh, sort of middling um, you know, things rather than having a lot more options and a lot more diversity in what you can play mm -hmm. uh, if you're able to successfully buff things. Yeah, that's one thing that I've heard quite a lot. Um, the lack of consistency when it comes to design and balance. For instance, okay, it was a neutral uh, combo, the ponies um, got nerfed, nerfed really hard, as you just said. And then we get Echo and Murlega in Squatel that do exactly the same thing. <laughs> and that are insane value for their provision cost. Yeah. And you just you just mentioned, you know, Geralt and, and Leo getting nerfed, and then we get poison that doesn't like, really need any kind of condition. Yeah, it's like there is a replacement for everything that gets nerfed. There will be a replacement in, in the future there will be a replacement for some cards and um yeah. I think yeah, one could definitely cool. use like a I don't know like a spring cleaning of sorts like, like once a year I think they devs should like really look at cards that aren't being played at all and just I'm not saying you know putting a ton of dev time into reworking and you know all this but just hey this card isn't played at all maybe if we lower provision point by one for bronzes all of a sudden it's somewhat viable at least and just with like very tiny like balance project where you just change points of provisions by one or two points and see yeah. what happens and maybe it won't make Gontro dim meta if you make it 10 provisions, but in some decks, if there's eventually, I don't know, some kind of doomed synergy, it'll see play. And yeah. I think every year they could do that. Just look at all the cards, take a second to just make some common sense decisions and say, okay, this is never going to see play. Let's give it one more point. And then maybe it doesn't see play either, but it's, you know, slowly improving towards making a much more like widespread mm -hmm. use of like all the cards, basically. Yeah, that's, um, that's it. Yeah, go ahead, BJ. That's why I said it's like a missed opportunity to not. I mean, it doesn't have to be a balanced patch, but then patch at least some cards so they could be played. You know, that, that's why I said it's a missed opportunity to, to not do anything at all. Because um, there are so many cards and so many cards that are not being played at all. So it would be nice. To... Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, because the... not too long ago, we had the reward campaign, right? Yeah, they yeah, announced it sure. in, in July, I think. And they said, we're going to rework uh, bronzes to be uh, the same level as... I think Syndicate and Skellige. Of course, the reference reference point doesn't make any sense anymore because the, 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 the bronze value has changed significantly in the past couple of months. But even today, people were asking me, where are the reworks? Like, Have you heard anything? Are there more reworks coming? Because I feel like the campaign is already over without there being any kind of announcement. Like We don't know if they are still working on bronze of other factions, if there are still mm -hmm. some reworks happening. There is uh, absolutely no communication in that department. Mm, yeah, I'd say probably not likely. But in terms of like balancing and and bringing cards up in, in power level or or even nerfs, I think the the dev like don't quote me on this, but I would imagine the um, their stance on it is sort of uh, they don't feel like 
you know, some cards are always going to be weaker than others. It's very hard to balance everything. And of course, there's there's a difficulty there, right, in terms of getting everything right. But um, yeah, definitely would be it would be good to have some changes of some kind, right? And going back to the point about the the lack of balance patch, I guess that's why people are a bit disappointed. You know, it's it's difficult to see like a Gaunter twelve p or whatever he is with morale in the game, and then no patch uh, this month. Yeah, oh yeah, of... exactly. Yeah. Um, well, but... one thing that we only briefly talked about, and that's a completely new addition to the game, is stratagems. And of course, there is the problem with Ordea, But how do you feel about stratagems overall? Do you think it's a good addition to the game to? get you know the kind of tactical advantage but that's more synergized with what you're playing yeah i think it was it was really good i mean it makes it a bit more a uh, bit more variety it lets you play into certain synergies and archetypes kind of a bit more like elves for example with this quiz hole one um some of them are clearly weaker than others and not very <laughs> playable so maybe look into that but yeah overall i think there's a few that make sense in certain decks and and I think it was, yeah, very solid general improvement to Gwent's core gameplay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like it. I think it also adds a lot to the faction identity, which was sometimes lacking. Like, now if you're if you're a Skoatel deck, oh, you have some elves to, you know, start the game with, um, and your Nilfgaard, you can control them a bit more kind of thing. Um, so that's really cool. Like, I even kind of would have liked to see a way for it to be implemented so that not only the blue coin player would get it, um, and I'm not sure if this is a complaint that new players would have but uh, i imagine it would be a little bit unintuitive and weird to sort of have this this distinct advantage on blue coin or you know what, what would be perceived as an advantage um as the blue coin player uh, particularly when it synergizes like quite heavily with your deck potentially uh, in the case of elves or, or whatever it might be um so yeah I, I, there's probably no way to you know um make it so both players can kind of benefit from that decision that they make in the deck builder, but it'd be kind of cool if there was, I think. Yeah, I mean, maybe after like five turns or something, as a as the red coin player, you can unlock the stratagem. For, uh, maybe something like that even could be fun. Because um, that adds also a lot of strategy. Yeah, yeah. It's very difficult to balance, right? Like, mm -hmm. to be honest, I'm not even sure which is better right now, red or blue coin, and probably it depends what deck you're playing and and stuff like that and if you if you change you know the formula there you you risk running into balance problems with the coin flip but yeah i mean there's maybe even ideas of like um you know the player who uh you know goes second has the stratagem in round two or something oh, like that but uh, like yeah. i don't know if you want to go down there's a lot of <laughs> things you'd have to think about with that right and yeah. whether that would work out and i think probably it's too difficult to really implement in a balanced way yeah, well, the problem be. is still that stratagems are uninteractive. So if you get yeah, give yeah mm -hmm. both players the way an mm -hmm. opportunity to play them, then it's gonna create more problems than we already have. But if there was a way to interact with them, or at least you know with those that you get as a player on the red coin or or in any other scenario, then maybe. Like maybe you could do something like I don't know discard a gold card in your deck and, and create a scenario or create a stratagem, something like that where you have to uh, sacrifice a card in your deck and, and to, to get the stratagem to create some more synergy. That could be nice, but then again, if it's not interactive, that would cause a lot of problems. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe give Bomb Beaver, like when you played on melee, you destroy an artifact, you played on range, you destroy a stratagem, like, but then... I think it just makes it very sloppy, though, the wordings and, and the exactly. for a new player, like, I think it's an interesting idea to explore, but it makes things so complicated from a new player perspective and from, like, a, a yeah. beginner perspective that I think it's not worth um, the possible advantages it could give you, I think, um, for the game overall. Yeah, to, to be honest, I think maybe the best thing, well, what I would like to see the most would be if stratagem was a distinct thing to actually the coin flip tactical advantage. And like if each, each player maybe had their stratagem the whole game, um, that could be quite interesting. And the, the person on blue coin could maybe have the Dijin ability or whatever, right? Just five phantom points. Or, like um, that was an idea floating around for a while. Um, but I, yeah, like maybe each player could have access to that stratagem as kind of an additional ability um, with their leader. Uh, or you know, maybe go to nine cards instead of ten if you're worried about games being longer or whatever. Um, but let's be real, probably not going to happen, right? So we're, we're <laughs> yeah, kind because, of dreaming over here. Yeah, it would create a lot of balancing issues because if we if we are already complaining about combos like stratagem plus and says, and let's say if you have a stratagem, then you can hold on until the end of the game. If it transfers through rounds, then that's unsays would be big. True. But yeah, on some level, I kind of like that, that the combo nature of this stuff. Like, it, to me, at least, it feels like your deck actually plays more as a whole than maybe it did in in past couple of months sort of thing. Um, you know, you have to... You can bleed these kind of combo pieces out, right? Like, if you know you're against elves, you maybe have to get the Redea from them so they can't combo their scenarios so that you can remove it. Um, or if, you know... Uh, you're worried about, I mean, Ansays is maybe just very strong no matter what the situation, but um, the fact that it is is a two-card combo makes it kind of interesting, and maybe if there's a way to make it even more cards that are required for <laughs> that kind of combo, then that could be a cool um, a cool thing, but yeah. they are yeah, difficult to balance for sure. Personally, I think it was just a natural step for, for Gwent to add cards like that, because we had tactical advantage that felt very, I would say... Meh, it, it doesn't really, you, you don't really get the feeling that it contributes to your deck. It's just five points. Yeah, just right? five points. And, and, you know, like if you're playing Nilfgaard, that lock could be worth way more than five points. And you could create some synergies with other cards that you already have in your deck. So yeah, the word I was looking for was average. Like having, having tactical advantage felt average. Like you didn't often get the feeling that you are properly compensated for, for, for going first. But then we have this problem of many decks preferring to go first because that allows you to be in full control of, of round two because if you want to win the round, you get uh, the control of round two and you, you mostly get the last say, which can be absolutely huge in many games. Mm -hmm, yeah. I mean, that's true. But I do like the fact that they... Uh... Yeah, created these strategies because it also allows uh, CD Projekt to uh, implement more strategies in the future, which have mm -hmm. also synergy with other um, uh, abilities. For example, the the strategy for Syndicate that has uh, synergy with, for example, uh, Horde, Horde Four. But yeah, it would be nice if they also have uh, the possibility to have a strategy that has maybe. Uh, uh, synergy with bounty for example like put a bounty mm -hmm. on, on your opponent like it, that's really cool right that mm -hmm. you can uh implement more of these but yeah, yeah there might yeah there might eventually be like one strategy for every 
kind of keyword or archetype or yeah. for like every different faction. So you have like a very some a way to personalize the deck and and your strategy even more. In yeah, and also if they can add more cards that allow you to create stratagems, that'd be quite nice. Although of course the balancing concerns, but yeah, maybe it's a case of need with the stratagems so that you can add more in rather than you know because i think it's a very interesting mechanic and if if you're uh, held back from pursuing it because of a couple of cards in the game then you should probably just change those couple of cards right um so yeah maybe maybe more stuff like radea but yeah. not as strong would be would be quite cool you know you could play a northern realms deck and you're you know setting up the board with a lot of you know shields for the future and, and that kind of mm -hmm. thing would be quite quite cool yeah. and uh, but yeah and see where they go with it and isn't isn't aren't stratagems like what artifacts should have been? Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. That, it just popped up in my head, but maybe stratagems should have been, yeah, what what artifacts should have been? Because it's just one time use, and you know you get a failure. Yeah. yeah I, do you guys feel like the stratagems are unfair? Because, like personally, I don't really no. get a get a sense of that whenever I play against them. It feels like oh, no. yeah. And, not frustrating that I can't remove it, no. kind of. Just... No, exactly. Especially not in the first round. And I think that the fact that these um, cards exist, together with scenarios, um, it opens up a lot of possibilities for future development of, of Gwent. Because I'm sure that over time we're going to get more scenarios and more um, stratagems to synergize with your, with your deck. Mm -hmm. Because right now you can just... Let me put it that way. Before, um, if you had a bad hand, you would often just dump cards that you don't want, didn't want to play any, anyway. And now you can make something out of nothing. Like your hand is bad, but because of this uh, stratagem, you can somewhat uh, synergize them with what you already have on the board. So you can get decent value out of your bad cards. It feels like Mulligan Fodder just slowly starts to disappear as a concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. And with that being said, with, with with more synergies being added to the game, favorite decks uh, or, or cards or, or, or maybe your specific plans for the season? Like, Are there any concepts that you guys want to explore more that you want to play around with? Um, I haven't played the Insectoid Monster deck, but I saw how it played and, and the, how the combo works, and it, it was played against me um, a few games like at the end of this last season. And it looked interesting, so I don't want to give that a try. Um, yeah, I mean, I played most of the other decks already, most of the other, like meta decks, and and you know, typical siege stuff and all the elf stuff, and so I don't have a huge uh, desire to play that. But there are a few new things that I haven't played that kind of popped up after break, so I'll probably give those a try. I, I think I won't take this this season too seriously. Um, I'm probably just do my placement matches for all the factions or most of them. And try the different decks that I haven't played yet. Basically, speaking of monsters, I've heard that you are a huge fan of rats. <laughs> um, rats. Well, <laughs> you really hate rats. <laughs> that was a good time. Oh, that was some, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm back. Of rats, did you say? The rats. The rats. Okay, the rat yeah. Decks, yeah, yeah. The card uh, um, on the side of the board. Yeah, once I started playing Glenn again in December patch after the expansion came out, I ran into that deck and I was very mad because outside of balance and outside of points and all this, not being able to play the game, I think is an issue. If for five rounds you have to be discarding cards, like that's 
fundamentally an issue that should not exist. So I know it's not the strongest deck. I know it's not, you know, I lost. And after I know how the deck works, I can kind of see the signs and play around it in a way. But I still think it's an issue where if a player can't play any cards for five rounds, you're kind of breaking the game in a way. Yeah. Um, so I think that should be looked at maybe, you know, those kind of strategies as well in the future. Um, very meme but once that meme you know, moves into kind of the very frustrating territory for, for players, I think. Yeah, like I ended up having to kill the reds with like a ballista, for example, yeah. to be able to play my cards. And it was kind of weird to, to do it like that. And the, ar the archer and square talk can also um, kill them, oh, I yeah. think, on your side of the board, for yeah. example. There's a oh, few yeah. counters once you learn it, but obviously I was playing Elf Swarm, so Verdea and like a ton of elves, oh, so I was, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, even yeah, worse. Yeah. It was like obviously the worst possible case scenario, but um, overall, I think certain things that, although they're meme if they make it very frustrating or, in this case, kind of unplayable, I think it should definitely be looked at. So it doesn't become like a thing in the future. But on the other hand, situations like that can always happen, sometimes unintentionally. For example, yesterday I was playing against some, some Lippy Skellige deck, and um, the guy played the Ophiri Merchant. It's not oh, a good yeah. card, it's, it's a pretty bad card. It just swaps <laughs> your top deck with his top deck. But what he got for me was Affen, and it bricked three oh. cards in my hand. So he got nine <laughs> points on board, and he got another nine or, or, or ten points due to the fact that I bricked my hand. Mm -hmm. That's so crazy, so yeah. combos like that can happen. But in, yeah. in this case, it's very intentional. They are mm -hmm. setting it up. I mean, I play... Ophir Merchant is really interesting because, you know, I play the triple scenario deck. So when, when, uh, when I play against NG and they play Yennefer Invocation on my scenario, I just get it back with the Ophir Merchant. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, that's, that's really big brain, but... Yeah, in most cases, of course, it's not really great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's mo in most cases, it's just memes. But it's a very good counter against Yennefer's yeah. Invocation. Yeah, because Yennefer's I mean, Invocation is a very strong card. And probably a commonly hated card. Uh, yeah, I, I do think so. It's not as much as hated as uh, the Heat Wave, I suppose. Oh, yeah, because she doesn't banish. Um, yeah, so you have no way to, to counter it or to get it back, for example. Mm -hmm. I think that in order to increase the level of hate this card is getting, we should make Yennefer uh, to be able to remove stratagems. Then it's just through the roof. Then it's top. <laughs> that is number one hated card in Gwent. But then you top back a four point card. <laughs> it's probably not worth to remove anyway. It's yeah. on average like four or five five points, let's say on average. So. Yeah, but you know, sometimes somebody plays for Daya and you're like, oh. Phew. Easy, easy unsays broken. Just take the Redea. <laughs> you could as well, yeah. Yeah. But, um... No, with all the meme stuff, yeah. I don't know if I have a problem with, like, the rat deck. As long as, like, a meme thing isn't too strong mm -hmm. or too common. Like, if you lose to something, like, 1 in 20 games, 50, 100 games, and... Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's, it it's very rare. Stuff. It's like it can be in beta. I mm -hmm. love to lose to Kambi. I, I, oh, I, I got Kambi in beta. I was like, that's impressive. I lost playing Kambi, man. And, <laughs> and, and for, for a couple of weeks um, uh, in, in this meta, Kambi was actually quite popular. Ah, not popular, yeah. he was playable. Play, I mean, the card is playable because of Mata, right? Yeah. 
So much it's like a natural predator. Like Kenny, it discards the best card of your opponent. And what I did when I yeah, what, what I did, I only put the, the skirmisher is the only four proficient card in the deck. So Mata would get skirmisher to my hand, and then I played <laughs> Kambi, I discarded the skirmisher, which would be played on the board, and I, I discarded the best card. The, the, those those you know unique moments are really cool where, where Kambi mm -hmm. shines. Yeah, I think I think uh, based on this interaction, we just learned that the natural predator. For for a exotic an exotic dancer is just a gold cock. <laughs> That's how it works, guys. Yeah, it's a very good it's a very good play. Like we 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 have to admit it. Yeah, I mean it would it would help if this card wasn't you know yeah what I, it is I, I right miss now, this card. obviously and so like if this card was well. if it was anywhere near playable and maybe Cammy would see play and it would be a natural yeah. counter to a Mata but because it kind of isn't sure you can. I mean, the combo you, you explained is a good one, and it will work in the meta, but it's still not going to be like super, super viable. I yeah. think worth including over like other just points. But, Can what, we talk about, about how... Uh... Freddy. Yeah, what about you, Freddy? What about <laughs> me? <laughs> what, are you, like, what, what are you looking for? Oh, what, what am I... Oh, <laughs> well, I have... I'm not sure I should say this, because it might come up and be relevant in World Masters, but... Probably not. Um, but I, I'm keeping my eye on Lippy every patch because, oh. in theory, he gets stronger every time they add gold cards to Skelliger. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm, that, that's all, I guess. Yeah, maybe no, I'm, I'm quite looking with, forward to uh, playing the monster deck as well. Yeah, maybe she'd have a word with Knurgard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lippy yeah. was really good at one point, right? So. It was. It was really cool. But that was with the moment where you could play Silver Witchers again. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I, f uh, I feel like Skellige is just the thing that's um, lacking. Like, maybe if that faction becomes stronger, then Lippy could also do that. Like, there's just not a lot of good golds in Skellige. Uh, yeah. Now, the only kind of good one is the artifact, uh, the scenario, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the main And draw. it is considered problematic because they can cycle through it in one turn. And it mm. doesn't really come with a down uh, with downside, because if you want to do it in, let's say, you know, monsters or nerf guard. Like you would have to build your deck specifically to be able to cycle your scenario in one turn. In this case, play your best cards and resurrect them. Easy. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! But what did you wanted to talk about, uh, Freddy? You said. Oh, I just wanted to say that I was a bit sad about Skelliger in general <laughs> oh, <yeah>. because <laughs> it feels like the faction is just a bit messy. Like it mm. got like a whole new sort of archetype added with like druids and, uh, and alchemy. Yeah, and it feels like uh, all of the uh, damage and uh, sort of bloodthirst stuff yeah, with crack and um, you know control and and discard as well has all been left behind. Um, yeah, and I think it's the one faction that that's kind of like very like synergy based um, for all the and it actually has archetypes and stuff, which is nice. But in this like mid range meta where you're just playing points, it just doesn't have the same mm -hmm. independent point generation from different bonds that don't have to synergize with each other and, and the goals as well but all very synergetic goals and not very just like point slam goals so i think that's why you see scalia like not really being a thing because it just doesn't have any of the other tools that every other faction has basically and it's yeah. interesting right because the reason that they uh buffed druids and like alchemy in uh Skellige was because that was not being played now they did that, it's being played, and now the other archetypes within Skellige, you don't see them anymore, so they have to do it again, and then it's like a visual circle. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a never-ending cycle, in a way. 
Yeah. You buff something that gets played, so you have to nerf it, or you have to buff something else, and that gets that gets played in turn, and you have to keep balancing your game. But uh, Panda raised a very good point uh, that synergized factions are not being played that much, and we can see that um, uh, through the example of Syndicate. Like it was the number one faction for months, or one mm-hmm. of the best factions for months, and then all of a sudden it just disappears. You rarely see it yeah. because of the synergies. It requires a lot of various cards to work together. You can't just point spam with Syndicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was also like a, no- a novelty thing as well. When it came out, it was like a new faction. So a lot of people were playing it and trying it. And I think it's it's still a strong faction. It has a lot of, a lot of very strong cards. Um, that have very high reach and you can do a lot of interesting things with it. I think it's a very complex faction as well. It's maybe part of it why it's not you played as often, I think. Um, but even now, you see it ha- it's being played with like many just value, like po- some poisons being thrown in, but it's not really a poison deck. It's just the mutated hellhound, or that's what it's called, I think. You mutated hounds. I'm good with like image to card association, but not name. To- <laughs> it's I don't know. It's a weird problem for a caster, especially. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's just like a little like mix of everything, and it's not like a super clear archetype anymore. I think. Um, yeah. like wild card as well, like the leader ability. To be honest, I feel like the problem Syndicate has is actually just that it can't really abuse Rodea or Scenario in any way. <laughs> and pretty much every other deck that exists yeah. does that. So, uh, you know, Nilfgaard, they abuse Rodea by taking the opponent's Rodea with bribery and invocation. Uh, Northern Realms has Anses, right? And Siege with Wombo Combo. And... Square Tell Elves, you get the idea. Skelliger with the uh, Druid Wombo combo. So, uh, and Monsters. I guess Monsters is, is also uh, different in that regard, but um, I think it would be strong if not for that kind of prevalence of, of these uh, really, um, yeah, really powerful cards. I mean, there's actually one card that has good synergy with Passive Flora, which is Igor, the hook, because it's oh. a few unit. <laughs> so you play Passive Flora. You play Igor, it triggers the Pissa Floor, you get five, maybe, I mean, you could get five coins from the Swindle, and then you could make a copy of the, the Peaches. That's what I've been actually playing uh, last night, and that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Overall, yeah, you can see what, you, what your yeah. point is. Yeah, and that's also the point <laughs> that Chesu uh, raised in his post in the feedback section of the Partners Discord. Like he said, like everything feels kind of mid-rangey. Like the, the synergists are overshadowed by the point spam. I, I, I have to agree with that with that statement. But, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, factions, which factions are performing very well, which factions are underperforming. But if you were to mention like one issue that's somewhat hindering the game and the community, what would that be? Because if you go to Reddit, poison and bribery, that's like... Top of the list. People hate those things. But if you talk to competitive players, then all of a sudden you get a different set of things that they would change in the game. So what's your take? If, if, if you had the ability to mention one issue that should be addressed by CDPR, what would that be? Yeah, you know, for me, it's going to be a bit of a weird one. And it might be a bit of a curveball. But um, I when I was... Picking up the game again after after my little break, um, the game felt just very tedious at times and very very slow and drawn out and um, 
even when there are like very important decisions to make and games are won or lost by a few points often so if you make a very small error uh, in, in your maths then that can cost you a game uh, basically what i'm saying is there's definitely a skill ceiling and you have to play well and use the time to think um, but on some level it doesn't feel super rewarding at least for me and it was probably because i played a lot of teppan uh, which is very fast paced um, compared to gwent that kind of influenced that but it just felt very slow and the decisions i was making you have a lot of time to think and then the payoff is like very small like you maybe gain a point or two which you don't really know if it will actually make a difference or not and so um yeah I, i'd like to see sort of the the blitz gwent or uh, fast gwent or whatever it was called um scenario scenario seasonal scenario <laughs> <laughs> so much um yeah the seasonal mode come back in some form like i'd actually like to see some kind of uh secondary ladder for gwent where it's just focused on like faster gameplay maybe not as fast as you know uh, that seasonal mode but just like some yeah. kind of yeah um but that's just kind of per personal preference and i've got used to playing sort of fast um compared to what gwent yeah, is you know, currently you were absolutely right because on the other hand they they promised us uh logic decoupling and we know that it's not necessarily working as we thought it would like you often yeah. still have to wait for all the animations to to end and all the abilities to resolve before you can do something else mm-hmm yeah, that's um, something the game's Sorry, but that's a very interesting take. I, I think most people would just talk about a certain card or a certain archetype. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you are talking game. more about the feeling of, of, of how it is to play Gwen and what mm -hmm. hinders you the most. Yeah. Especially with Mata as well. When Mata was really common, like the games were even longer because both yes. players played yeah, like exactly. an extra four cards or whatever. Mm -hmm. Two cards. Yeah. <laughs> um, or four cards, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, four cards, uh, which is quite quite a lot, right? Could could increase the game by like ten minutes, maybe, um, which drags on you, especially if you're having to climb to pro ladder or climb on pro ladder if you have a goal there. And I, I know like probably a lot of people want to get to pro ladder, but then once they get there, they don't actually have enough time to actually stay on pro ladder. So mm -hmm. um, that can probably make it quite hard to even try to be professional or compete um, at the high levels. So um, yeah. That's been one of my criticisms from like day one of Homecoming that the game needs to be faster in some way, and maybe the way to do that is just to bring back Blitz Gwent and have that as a different kind of competitive format. I think also the weirdly enough tying into what Freddie said, um, it's somehow related in a way. I think part of what makes it uh, so much slower and feel like tedious and feel like not you don't feel like that into playing Gwent like for very very long hours is that there's a big issue with like a lot of the same decks being played a lot of net decking and then a lot of i don't know it seems like the round one throw your bronzes away or if you have like some some goals that you like, benefit playing in round one like poison stuff with squares or something like that you play in round one and then round two you try pass most of the time unless you know you're a big brain pro ladder player that pushes round two and, and wins in some cases um and then you just go into a long round three and NR, you look at it and you say, oh, they have a really strong round three, so maybe I don't do it with them. But overall, it's like it's kind of the same game plan for every deck, and that's also like the mid range thing also affects it. So it makes the sequencing in most matchups and most decks, it's very similar. So it's very slow, like Freddie said, and then it's always the same sequencing. And then when you fuck up on one, the one play that you have, that you have to not fuck up, you fuck it up when you lose. You're like shit. Like, why did I just spend minutes playing this game against the yeah. same net deck every time? So it makes it much more tedious. If 
there was less mana snapshots, which are great, but if there was less, people would play different decks with different variations. And if the decks weren't all mid-rangey, they would feel different and it would feel like the rounds play differently. But right now, everything is very copy and paste and point slamming. Mm -hmm. And it makes playing many games in a row very annoying because you're doing the same thing. And if you fuck up the one moment in that one hour stretch where you weren't supposed to fuck up, all of a sudden it feels like you didn't do anything, you didn't climb at all. So I guess it kind of ties in with it being slow gameplay-wise. And I think that's another like mental like psychological reason why it feels slow exactly yeah i mean we are trying our best as trs we don't produce any snapshots <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i mean that's a fair point that, that's a really interesting uh points that you guys are making yeah I, yeah i, I think about like a certain card or like yeah <laughs> for dad no for dad yeah we but did i think <laughs> It makes you seem mad that you keep playing the game that you know, okay, I'm going to play against the very same deck or an iteration of that deck. And sometimes you have this this feeling, I'm wasting my time. I'm playing fifth. Like, games are longer. Like, I think that a lot of people are going to agree. Games are longer. Like, even if I look at my own content, it's often you know, 15 minutes instead of 10. And yeah. at the end, somebody plays a card like Verdea, and you don't, and you can't counter it, or they cycle their scenario in one turn, and you have the feeling like, I just waste fifteen minutes because I can't do anything about it. Hmm. Yeah. So, so I, I agree with you guys that you know the game should feel smoother and, and faster, and net decking it. I don't want to say it's a problem, but I understand why people net deck because not everyone has the time to play as much as professionals player do. So if you are a casual player, you are not going to reinvent the wheel. You're not going to mess around in, in deck builder yourself. You're just going to you know, pick the, the best deck or the best couple of decks and have fun with it. Mm -hmm. Do you ruin the day of those who uh, uh, try to play off-meta decks, who try to invent something themselves? Sure, but I don't think it can be prevented. Yeah. I think yeah, so, right. No, I think overall Gwent as like a, as a community and and the way the metas get evolved and work, it's very different to when it was in, in open beta, for example, um, or even closed beta before that. It was it was much less solved. It was much less uh, public. Now there's like obviously it's not a bad thing. It's just how communities and games kind of evolve. Um, but now with like different uh, competitive teams also and different like snapshots and the meta being solved very quickly. Um, it makes it, yeah, it just adds on to the repetitive factor and it's not, I think, as fun or rewarding and it's almost like robotic almost in the way that pro ladder players solve the meta, span the same decks, kind of feed on the lesser players that are on pro ladder and get really high scores. And like, if you think about competing, even if you're a good player or you think you have the potential to be a good player, it's a lot of hours, a lot of like the same deck. It just isn't an, an environment that, that kind of makes you want to play eight hours a day every day like I used to back in like closed beta. It was very different, I think, overall. Uh, but I, that's how it works, I think. I mean, that's how it is. with Yeah, with card games in general, I don't know if you can ever avoid like net decking. If you just queue into someone and they have a better deck than you, you're going to like change your cards and play that deck, right? Yeah. Like just it, whether it happens through going on tmartuza.com or oh, this this guy I saw on Twitch was doing this, or this opponent that I played against had a good deck. Like, people are always going to gravitate to, uh, you know, stealing, I guess, or, or uh, being inspired by other people's deck ideas. But, like, maybe, maybe the issue is more so in, like, uh, 
there not being enough sort of um, options. Like if if there are a lot of options and a lot of different things you can play, then you can imagine that even if you net deck, there are still things that you could change that would make it a little bit better. You know, someone who comes up with their own thing might not and probably won't have the best, um, you know, formula for that. And I think like every patch the game goes through, there are more cards. And in theory, that should mean that net decking is not as profitable or that at least creativity is rewarded more. And I think we're getting to that stage already because like when I go through the deck builder and try to make a deck, there's just so many cards now like you can pick so many different things and um definitely you can take a net deck and you can change you can easily change like a couple of cards at least uh to maybe be a bit more optimal against what you're playing against or uh just within the deck itself um and you know maybe i don't know i guess uh there's, there's a difficulty because if you want to climb and do well and be competitive then you are incentivized to just play 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 when in reality it might be more beneficial like in terms of win rate and um you know to actually find the better deck um, but that requires testing so then you're kind of killing your win rate in in the meantime right and so yes. i think at the high end of play you don't get people actually trying to make new decks because they have to play instead of um instead of deck build and craft and maybe you come up with a good deck but then it's too late and uh, the meta's moved on or whatever as well so that's why I think the, the season two and the qualifier system is going to really, really mix things up a lot and, and make like, if you got top 64 on ladder and you're a good player, it's not hard. Like, I mean, you have to grind obviously, but you don't have to like grind like crazy. crazy. Um, if you're a good player, like if you're a top 50 player, you're going to get there for sure. And then having a qualifier where you can test tournament strategies and, and band strategies and uh, targeting and playing more weird decks that you don't see on ladder you're going to be rewarded for that so i think that's a really really big improvement um and that's going to help mix it up a lot more and not have it be such like a streamlined efficient like net deck play best deck spam it win games all right i qualified um i think it'll make it much more interesting i think what could help and what we had in the past is having longer seasons like i've heard that opinion quite a lot people saying if the season was two months You'd have a period where people just grind and, and get the best scores. And then once they reach a certain position, they would experiment more with, with new decks and they would just play around with new cards and to, to try to come up with, with something new, to have some more fun. Like we've seen that in beta all the time. Like people just grinded to, to get something and once they got it, they were just messing they would just mess around with whatever. Yeah. That's what they said, right? About Pro Pro Ladder back in the day, like Lots of people playing memes. Yeah, uh, that, that that was the pro yeah. ladder in in, yeah. in, in the <laughs> But I can see your point. That's re that's actually really interesting because yeah, like you said, right right now you grind, you get you 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 stay top two hundred, top five hundred. Season is over, you have to grind again. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I would I would like uh, for maybe the season to be two months. Yeah, but one thing the Panda mentioned is meta gets uh, figured out really quickly because of the only publicity that Gwent, Gwent gets. And I would like to change topic, but on the note of publicity, because um, we are seeing the Witcher games being more popular than ever because of the Netflix show, of course. Do you guys think that it can result in more people being attracted to Gwent? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I think it's an obvious... I mean, we saw the Witcher 3 hitting an all-time peak on Steam four years or, or three years after release. So obviously yeah, there's a, there was... I found out about Gwent because of The Witcher 3. I'd never played card games or Hearthstone yeah. or anything yeah, before same. that. So the same way that worked, I think it's... Yeah, it's a common, a very possible thing that The Witcher show 
will not only make it much better for CDPR with their Witcher 3, obviously being a huge thing, and they're probably selling a ton of expansions now as well. People that played the game initially but never finished it or never played the expansions. And Gwen, I think, is an obvious that I think CDPR should try and capitalize that in mm-hmm. some way because it's literally free publicity. Like when they saw the announcement that there's a Witcher series on Netflix, like, I don't know, they started praying or or thanking the gods because that's like <laughs> literally free money for them, basically. Oh, yeah, it's definitely. Free, uh, it's free marketing. Advertisement. The thing is, no, there is no Gwent in the Witcher series. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably Not quite in indirect. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how many people playing the the Witcher three have already tried Gwent or even know it's you know a card game you know uh, distinct to to that game. Yeah, maybe there should be some kind of push to uh, you know make people aware of of Gwent outside of Witcher three, like maybe within the game somehow. Yeah. Like, hey, do you like Gwent? Well, you can come play. You know that sort of thing. Um, yeah, where, otherwise... where they have like the, the expansion, like uh, I assume they have like an in-game thing where you have like expansions or like, you know, where you can access the store from the game. If they had also like, oh, standalone with your uh, Gwent card game, that would include, like, I think that would increase the, the player base by quite a bit, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a, I guess I'm a little bit worried that uh, Gwent and how it's kind of viewed as uh, by CD Projekt is that it's kind of this like little side project that's not really tied into their main sort of stuff mm-hmm. like Witcher and Cyberpunk. So, uh, you know, I'm not super mm-hmm. uh, sure that they want to, you know, contaminate their their um, marketing or brand or whatever uh, by by promoting Gwent, uh, you know, through the other other uh, brands or. IPs yeah. Are you I saying mean, that Gwent is a little bit of an unwanted child? <laughs> I mean, I heard that Rizik, he moves from Gwent to like Cyberpunk, yeah. for example. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying, yeah, I mean... Uh, are... We've seen that before. We've seen uh, Luigi moving to Cyberpunk. Oh yeah, Luigi moved as well, yeah. And a couple of other people. Mm-hmm. I mean... There's there've been huge successes for CDPR and as a company they're considered by the general gaming uh, culture and, and ecosystem as like this one of the companies to look up to and they do everything right they're not predatory with like their uh, microtransactions or not they're not like a big bad company that you want to hate you know like EA or something like yeah. that. they're kind of considered like a friend yeah, almost Ubisoft. Mm-hmm. and they have this image and image is a lot in when it comes to marketing when it comes to all this like the, the peace of mind you have in, in your customers and yeah Gwent wasn't the success that it was supposed to be I mean Hearthstone it was supposed to be a Hearthstone killer when it came out initially mm-hmm. and it was like the hype around it doing that I think it's still a great game and I think it still fulfills its role in like the CCG genre and but it isn't you know as good as everything else that you expect from CDPR, like The Witcher 3, like Cyberpunk, I think, yeah. will be. Um, and so, one, yeah, I think it... yeah. one thing that people kind of forget about is they could have discontinued Gwent. They could have said, okay, the project did not yield the results we we're looking for, but they continued developing Gwent, and we are actually getting competitive Season 2. And, yes. you know, a lot of people were thinking, there is, there's not going to be Season 2. <sighs> season 1 is going to end at some point in the future, and that's it. They're going to focus on uh, the mobile release and the Android slash um, iOS uh, audience with more microtransactions and, and, and not that much competitive play. But that's actually not true. We are having Season 2. And with that being said, guys, your first thoughts on the format of Season 2, the roadmap, and... Basically everything we've heard so far. Yeah. Um, 
Go ahead, Freddy. <laughs> I think it looks pretty good. Um, obviously, the one complaint people are going to have is the prize pools are obviously yeah. a lot smaller than uh, for the uh, first season. Um, like Now you've got opens, which are kind of like little Gwent slams with maybe some extra money, depending on how that goes. And that could be quite a considerable deal. Um, depending on how many people buy cosmetics. Um, but then you've also got the complaint that um, all that money will go to the winner, apparently. Um, whether or not that's confirmed, whether or not that can change is another question. But if that is the case, then it means, you know, the chance for a lot of different players to uh, compete and make some kind of profit or living from it is going to be not super high. Um, you know, not necessarily the end of the world. It can definitely still be... Um, a fun side thing for a lot of people who can maybe you know get a little bit of uh you know pocket money uh, if they manage to make it um or even if they do very well then they can maybe transition that into um some kind of future but uh yeah it's a little bit underwhelming um you, you look at the first season and it was like wow all this crazy stuff going on um you know really cool locations for the tournaments and just a very high production value all this big prize money uh etc etc uh, i think we're unlikely to see anything on that scale ever again which is kind of sad um, and it definitely kind of leaves the impression that we're maybe in like a little bit of a worse time in terms of the popularity health of the game kind of aspect but at the same time you know it's it's definitely better than having nothing uh you know for for the people who play yeah um i think the format's very good i think i mean I think it's going to be unpopular, an unpopular opinion, but I think right now with the announcement for Season 2 and kind of the format and the prize money they have, it's now proportional to what the Gwen community is. I think there was huge expectations when it released initially and the esports system they created for it and the community and the player base and the general need for Gwent in the gaming and esports ecosystem didn't, like the demand wasn't met basically. And right now, I think it's proportional. I think like the, com the community there is and the Twitch viewership and the general investment there is, um, $10,000 for a price pool isn't bad, you know? And a lot of pro players, I think they got kind of uh, badly accustomed in a way to how, <laughs> how good it was in season one. I mean, Spoiled. there was big prize monies. It wasn't an incredibly, I'm not gonna say the, the like, player base, the, the, the pro players weren't competitive. But now it's finally a point where there's a lot of tournament preparation. There's a lot of like in team. But at the beginning, I mean, there was a lot of like weird decks, weird people like getting very high on the ladder. Like weird. It wasn't super, super, super competitive. I mean, I was at the top of the ladder at some point at the beginning, so you can imagine how like not very competitive it was. Um, and I think now it's finally getting to a point where the expectations and the demand have met, have like gone to the same point. People that were were accustomed to having very big prize pools and all this guaranteed almost if you're a very good player that could grind are going to be mad about it but i think it is what what it is i mean i think it's obviously i'm very happy that there is a season two even which i think i wasn't super sure was going to happen i was pretty sure it wasn't going to happen actually but and i think ten thousand plus um the crowdfunded amount which could be five thousand could be i mean it's hard to say um i think it's not a bad amount I think it's, and especially with the qualifier system now where you can, you don't have to be top eight and grind a billion games every season. You can be good and just win the tournaments and the qualifiers. Um, it opens up to, like Freddie said, to make it a side thing. And maybe some people can't live only off of Gwent. And that's life. I mean, you're trying to play a video game for a living. 
sometimes it doesn't work out. That's, that's how the industry yeah. is right now. It's still growing and it's still becoming a, a more established and a more secure thing financially. And that's part of life. Maybe you have to study on the side and play going on the side and maybe qualify and get some, like Freddie said, some extra money. Great. But you can rely on Gwen to, to live. And it's sad, but I think it was a long time coming. And now it's finally like the expectations have been met. And it's not a strain on CDPR, basically, how it was last season. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. You had huge tournaments and huge prize money and very little viewers and very little investment from the outside and very little. It wasn't worth it for them, I think, financially. Yeah, I think that what people keep forgetting about is that Gwent, so between Homecoming and the iOS release was... Go- on a pretty bad stretch financially. Like, they were still making money, but not nearly enough to uh, somehow justify the spending uh, in, in regards to Season 1. So, you know, this season, the price pool is much lower, but we have to remember, iOS release, um, Android release in a, at some point this quarter. Uh, and if they... Uh, release like cool MTX that people will be buying to increase the price pool. I think that you know somewhere towards uh, the end of season two and probably season three, if there is gonna be season three, are gonna have a much increased price pool because the money is gonna be there. Like right right now, they had to think of something w- when they are just waiting for Android release, and we, we we've already seen that iOS release basically quadrupled their their income, their profit on Gwent. So Android release is going to have a huge impact on, on their budget. And I think that maybe at some point during, um, during season two, they're going to change the price point. They're going to increase it. We never know. Yeah, yeah it's probably, possible. Yeah. One other thing I want to say is uh, <laughs> it's probably a very smart move of them to uh, turn the qualification into only uh, tournament qualification instead of just directly via ladder after all of the <laughs> sort of win trading, tie trading, fiesta uh, controversy has been one after another um you know from the very first sort of join time scandal to you know even quite recently um so yeah that was probably a very smart move and they won't really have to worry about ever you know um that being a problem on the ladder again so that's good for the competitive integrity it still matters for the crown points true for the final masters of I guess my watch is not over. <laughs> World Championship. <laughs> but yeah, I think overall that was always going to be an issue. I mean, with ladders, with especially when there was such like region-based matchmaking and, and when at a high MMR, you could kind of make it so you can snipe certain players. And yeah, it's mm-hmm. ladder uh, qualification systems are always going to be a problem for cheating and, and win training and stuff like that. So I'm also happy to see more tournament stuff. And also makes it, like I said before, much better i think as a competitive format um where you can play different decks and you don't have to grind that many games and stuff like that yeah i think there should be a mandatory polygraph test for everyone on the verge of qualifying <laughs> period that will solve all the problems guys yeah but actually as a pro as a pro player as somebody who made a significant amount of money playing gwent how do you prepare for tournaments me personally, or yeah, you, you personally, yeah. and we are also going to ask Panda that because he is a caster and he has to know his stuff. And he once participated in his fair share of tournaments. But um, how do I how do I prepare? Well, usually I play some ladder and stream to get an idea of what the meta is like, and then then it goes into super focused like deck building and thinking about 
finding the really uh, secret, super spicy, mega OP combo wombo, uh, you know, incredible stuff. Uh, and maybe that's with another person, or maybe that's uh, alone, depending on if someone's around to help me, um, which they usually is. So that's cool. Uh, and sometimes I play against myself just to be able to work out. Uh, I think Colmoan does that as well, just to work out, you know, uh, what deck beats what, how to win with a certain thing in a certain situation. You can really control the environment. And, um, you know, there's been tournaments where I felt, you know, so prepared, like I knew uh, what I'd be up against and exactly how the game would play out and exactly how I would play my cards and whatnot before even actually um, playing it. And usually stuff doesn't go as you plan, so <laughs> it's it's not maybe not even worth doing all of that, but... Uh, you know, it, it does help to be prepared, I think, and uh, at least have that sort of positive mental uh, side to it going in. And there was actually a question there from the community uh, regarding this topic. Like, do you have more fun preparing or do you have more fun actually playing once the preparing is done? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I can say that playing is very fun because it's very stressful. <laughs> um, you know, it's always really quite horrible when you feel like you might uh, make a mistake or you have made a mistake and you're like weighing a decision and that decision could be worth you know thousands of dollars um, so it, definitely the um, the whole environment of playing in the tournament and just like being there being around all the other players you know chilling out in a hotel going and having food and doing makeup and stuff for the videos and all that stuff's really fun and after you win a game or whatever that's really great but definitely there's a lot of stress in playing uh, as for the preparation i mean i can't i, I don't know it's, some of it is fun for sure especially when you find like a really good idea or something that you think could work but there's also a lot of again stress with that and worrying about deadlines and uh you know having to uh, find something before it's too late and <laughs> worrying you don't have the best thing so <laughs> there's good and bad to both but um Speaking of preparations and good ideas, I have to ask this. Angoulême, was it a good yeah, idea was, or was, did you just think of it and thought, okay, I'm gonna meme during the tournament? <laughs> to be honest, I think Angoulême was probably the peak of my, uh, of my brain. I don't think I've ever come up with anything peak better than that. So. Brain. <laughs> so I was pretty happy with that one, to be honest, but it didn't, like, the the miscalculation i did for that tournament was um the, the meta was very engine heavy and engine based and i was playing on a meta that was a bit too uh, old i was playing on like a hyper thin centric meta um where everyone was playing really greedy big decks and not engine based and then i don't know what i was thinking because angolem is countering engines and everyone was playing engines so if i just built my lineup to also counter engines with angolem it would have been like super easy to win the tournament but uh, I kind of messed up there, so <laughs> I need to maybe, wow. um, you know, be a little bit more conscious of the the current meta um, when preparing but, next time. But it's funny, right? Because you 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 introduce these kind of cards in the tournaments. Like every tournament, people will expect you to to come up with something new. You know, <laughs> it's like really cool. Yeah, no, to have a player a... like you in the community. Yeah, no, I've I've kind of I don't know why, but I've always had that goal since. Like, since one of the Gwent slams, I think it was the one that I brought, brought Gaunter or whatever. I just, I don't know. I felt like, I felt like I was very, very fortunate in being able to play in these, uh, in these tournaments. And, like, to kind of repay that karmic debt, then I would have to always bring something to entertain and, uh, you know, spice things up. I feel like I've, 
done that reasonably well. So. I feel Panda is not happy about something. He keeps shaking his head. He has to commentate on I those kind of decks. I remember the exact I remember that game. I remember exactly that tournament. I know exactly what he brought in that Northern Realms deck. And he literally threw away money by bringing that card. So as a responsible person that I tend to be, um, I saw the dad. card, I'm like, Freddy, are you, are you stupid? And when he lost with it, I'm like, okay, that was deserved. Like, I was... It, that's how it should have been. He lost the 50-50, I think it was. I don't know how the card worked back then, but it was like a 50-50, something like that, right? Yeah. And you lost it, and if you had any other gold card, you would have won that. It was like won. a five point you needed or something like that. It was six. like less than, and it ended up being like negative value or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So. Ah, well. No, I don't know. Deserved. Like, probably. But I feel like, you know, maybe if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have won the challenger. You know what I'm saying? Like, potentially... By memeing and not allowing your memes to be dreams, you actually are gaining some kind of, uh, you know, favor with gods. Like maybe me bringing Angoulême will mean I win World Masters because the, you know, the universe favors uh, memes. I mean, are you are, are you that saying one. that Angoulême is a sacrificial card? Oh wow. Okay, no, I, no, okay. Let me take that back. Angoulême was very strong. Very yeah, I think like, I think that was I, I wasn't was a good, yeah, good I wasn't mad about that. I was mad about the little deck where you brought a card that was literally 50-50, 100% mean. There was no tech True. value or any kind of you couldn't defend it including that card in your deck and you brought it anyway to a tournament with $10,000 prize pool. I can defend it by saying the Twitch clip that it spawned was just <sighs> That's 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 why we do things for the Twitch clips. Heck yeah. We gotta wore ourselves out with quality compounds. And Panda, <laughs> how do you prepare as a caster, and how do you react to people basically bringing memes to tournaments? Because uh... we we've seen Super JJ doing that as well. Like he he brought a spy deck that was like so out of meta; it was essentially an act of madness. Yeah, memes make things interesting. At least um, from a caster perspective, it kind of. I mean, obviously, if you're looking at it from my perspective of trying to do a very good job as a caster, you want everything to be as predictable and, and uniform and easy to explain as possible. So you can learn, obviously when I prepare for an event, if I haven't been playing Gwent super regularly before that, I normally take, you know, a two, three week period before an event starts to play every meta deck that might be in the tournament, every faction, understand how the matchups work and obviously talk to different players, talk to Freddy, talk to, you know, other teams and see kind of what is being brought. And then once we actually have the deck list, we get them maybe like a week or yeah, four or five days before the tournament starts, I can start looking at like more specific. Uh, I, have, I have like a scope of all the possible interactions that can occur. And so I have to know exactly in every single scenario, like what things can happen so that I'm prepared to explain um, <coughs> everything to the viewers. Obviously my role, um, because when Gwen first came out, I was kind of a, more on the player side and, and pretty competitive at that. Mm-hmm. My role when I got hired and my role still now is kind of the analyst role and kind of explaining the more intricate things. So I'm kind of as near to a pro player's level of understanding of the game um, compared to other casters. So it's kind of my job to know the game very well. So that's sometimes a hard feat because you have to explain what the smartest players in the world and the best players in the world are going to do. And to, to they do that, you have to be you know kind of close to that level. So um, it requires some preparation, not so much playing that many games. I mean, you have to get the feel for the decks, but just understanding and talking to players helps with knowing like all the different interactions and all the different matchups and why you do certain things and why, you know, also like knowing the 
how Comcast works and the bands and everything and trying to explain that to viewers as well. But overall, trying to make something very complex, easier to understand. So it's not always easy. You get a lot of flack and a lot of criticism sometimes. But after, you know, 15 or, or 20, whatever many events I've done with Gwen and other games, it becomes a lot easier. So I know if I'm doing a good job, um, sometimes you make mistakes. It's happened before. But overall, uh, I'm pretty happy with my casting work overall. So just keep doing what I do, I guess. Yeah, you said that sometimes you make mistakes. But I think that these mistakes often become like some sort of memorable moments like maybe maybe you uh, mispronounced something or maybe you gave a card a nickname like we all remember when um when uh, flake and, and mcbeard talked about uh, iron justice instead of iron judgment and that became a meme or when uh, jagris uh <laughs> called roderick rodriguez uh, do you have any moments like that yourself like something that you know you mispronounced or you made a mistake but it was funny in a way and, and you will always remember remember it that way i'm not sure funny because i'm a very like self uh i criticize my own so it's i mean i find some humor in it obviously of course but when i mess up and i know i messed up i don't like messing up because not only because i want the viewer to have the best possible experience and not confuse the viewer or make them think something like a card works one way it works a different way but also like the flack you get after it obviously reddit and twitter and personally it doesn't affect me as much i know it affects other casters and maybe other people more if they get criticized but it's still not great to see especially uh in certain situations like the game being kind of uh deadish the last year obviously it was like a lot of flack for casters and people that weren't playing the game and then you mess up it's like oh you see you messed up because you weren't playing 800 games of gwen every month <laughs> so things like that they add up in a way so it's not fun to make mistakes obviously but there have been some humorous things of course um with casting it's kind of improvising for many hours in a row so there's going to be a lot of mistakes a lot of humor a lot of a little bit of everything basically i mean it's it's we're humans after all so anything yeah. can kind of happen in a broadcast and trying to contain it to something professional is sometimes difficult yeah you said that you are very critical of your own work so i assume that you always want to appear professional so on a scale from zero to ten how ashamed did you feel of wearing those flamboyant suits during the <laughs> tournament? Um, I mean, some of them are fine. At the beginning, uh, obviously, we have a, this, a, the same stylist for all the events or for the past two years, maybe. So at the beginning, it was like very neutral for me. I think that was my aura was very like neutral, like nothing risky, like just normal colors. And I would kind of complain to her in like a cheeky way. So over time, she's gotten me like the more spicy suits. So <laughs> I kind of that's my own fault. So I can't really complain about it. But yeah, I think it's it's fun um, having a stylist give you certain suits and certain combinations that I would never wear personally in because I don't think it looks good or because of confidence reasons of like, I would not want to go like that out there in some styles. But in the setting of like a tournament and all this, I kind of go with the flow and go with the memes, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's a good, uh, good way of dealing with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, back to a more serious topic. Uh, your th your thoughts on automated tournament and the spectator mode? Because they said we are working on them. Well, they they have been saying that a lot in the past. We we still haven't seen anything of 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 these two features. But do you think they're gonna have a significant impact on the community? And you know, as a player and a, and a caster, like, would you uh, possibly think of you know appearing in tournaments? that's organized by the community using these two features? 
Yeah, I mean, even even with like one to one stuff, like a year and a half ago, there was already a lot of uh, spectator or tournaments being done, community tournaments being done. And there was like team tournaments even and a lot of different things that were fun, but were a hassle to set up because people had to be handling OBS and handling editing. And it was like an overnight thing. We have to send huge files and some people just wouldn't record the files properly. So, and it wasn't live. So a lot of downsides, but once you fix that issue and you have automated tournaments in spectator mode, it allows for the community to do many more things. And obviously for me as a caster, I can work much more closely with the community and, and create content in kind of what I do best, which is casting, which you can't really do now. It's only like tournament to tournament basis. And that might be like a month or two or six sometimes between tournaments. So I don't feel as part of the community, whereas that would make me, I think, uh, much more involved overall. Yeah, I'd be quite interested to see how the uh, tournament mode actually works. like. Because I don't think it's going to be like properly integrated into the game, right? From what I've heard, um, it's going to be like, yeah, like a website. I've heard, I think. Yeah, like yeah. a website kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that should work fine, right? Um, as for playing in in them, I don't know. Like, uh, I haven't really. I, <laughs> on some level, I haven't felt. Um, that sort of community aspect. I haven't really been, you know, streaming much. I haven't been watching streams very often, so I feel a bit disconnected. Um, but uh, you know, there's always potential <laughs> for that to happen. Yeah, the thing is with community too is it, it sometimes it takes like six, seven hours straight. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's it a lot of time thing. you have to invest for a little reward that you might get. So mm -hmm. that, that's what Tilbot also said uh, when we had the podcast with uh, Tilbot. He also said, I, I don't play community tunings because I don't get anything from it and I have to spend a lot of time sitting there. Yeah, it's time you could be spending grinding ladder or something instead. Yeah, right? Yeah. It can be tricky. I think, I think when we, it's kind of similar for Freddie and me. When we both started playing Gwent, it was very much a passion thing and very much uh, you want to play, you don't get anything for it, but you just love the game and, you, and it felt very rewarding to play a lot. <laughs> and then you just... And? Leave. And? We are waiting for the end of the story, Panda. There's the cliffhanger. <laughs> Whereas now, I think because of players uh, getting accustomed to kind of having a feedback loop where they make money off of Gwent and they live off of Gwent and they get value off of Gwent in a way with playing Pro Ladder and stuff like that, it's much more a job than a hobby. And I think that's for me as well. So that kind of changed the dynamic a lot. I think my relation at least with Gwent and probably Freddy's as well and a lot of players. So Back in the day when you loved Gwen and you were just playing a ladder for no reason whatsoever for eight hours a day and there was a community <laughs> tournament, you're like, great, like this is fantastic. But nowadays there's like so many things to do and so many, I don't know. It's a different dynamic, I think. Oh yeah. Like we've is. grown up yeah. kind of. We're adults now. And are you guys happy with with um how Pro Ladder and how the means to qualify for tournaments look like right now? Is there, if, if there was one thing you could change, like, let, let's say, you know, tomorrow you get a call from CDPR and they say, okay, you are already in Warsaw, let, let's meet and let's let's hear your ideas about uh, how to qualify for tournaments. How, how do you envision, you know, the, the, qualif uh, the qualification process? Um, for me, I've always had a very, I wouldn't say super strong relationship with Vlad, but... I think out of the whole community, I'm probably the person that has talked to him and discussed with things with him the most. Obviously, him being the head of esports, he has a lot of say in these things. And a lot of what it's implemented in some way or another, um, I'm not going to say 
because I told Vlad, but we just discussing and like some of the qualifiers are like rewarding the top 16 and then having like a broader qualifier, stuff like that, um, were ideas that I think just make sense. And I've talked to him about before as well. So I think they make, uh, I think most of the system I think works pretty well the way they wanted to do it. And also, um, you can't please everyone. Like if you make it only through ladder qualifiers, it's great and it's more competitive in a way. It's more rewarding. Like you get the better, more skilled players, but you also have to play a shit ton of games. And if the prize pool gets lowered, then all of a sudden playing so many games in, uh, in a month becomes less attractive to the best players. So I think the reduction of the prize pool and it being overall a smaller thing, um, it makes sense to also change the way the qualification works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of feeling a bit torn on pro ladder generally as a concept. Like I, I kind of like the old rank system a little bit. Um, there's just something about I, I think <laughs> I think Chesy made a post about this on yeah. Reddit. Uh, he... Yeah, and Spiro said something about it in one of his videos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but people are about. Definitely the the fluctuations in MMR that you can have on a normal kind of ranked ladder are quite. It's quite exciting, uh, albeit quite stressful as well. If you need to do like a final climb, and one game can can you know cost you everything, but you know that can happen on pro ladder as well. So the way that pro ladder works just does feel a little bit boring sometimes. You just have to grind. You're like forced to grind out a certain amount of games with a certain faction, and then you're going to have to grind up those peaks, and it just takes a long time. And there are definitely benefits to it because you of course uh, have to play lots of factions you have to be very good at lots of factions you are getting the most kind of balanced and uh, disciplined players you know qualifying for the tournaments um, but there's definitely some kind of appeal to a, a little bit more chill and uh, less sort of rigid um, rank system but you know I, I, yeah I'm not sure I would change anything about this current system they've got it seems kind of good um, other than the prize pool structure which yeah and I don't know, I do kind of like ladder um, you know, qualification in general, just straight ladder qualifying, um, because that means if you are a good player and you are you know, determined to qualify, then you can just play for X amount of hours. And in that sense, it kind of acts like a job and something stable where, you know, if you commit the time, you're going to be able to get there with tournament qualification, you know, through um, you know, an actual tournament that you play. It's a bit more higher variance and you might not get in because you're unlucky kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But you know, of course, you've got then the problem of cheating and um, people not being able to spend that amount of time to qualify. So I don't know. Maybe if they'd kept some kind of you know top one or two players qualified to opens, I might mean, have been a good, good idea. But at that point, it's so hard to even get top one or two that you know I mean, is it even going to benefit that many people. You see that in other sports like football too, right? Like the top two, they promote to the other division. Oh, relegation system. And yeah, the relegation system, for example. And then the other teams that could like a fourth, fifth place, they have to play against each other to actually promote. It's, it's you know. It's yeah, I was, I was surprised that the ladder qualification was removed entirely. I, I didn't think it would be only through tournaments, only through qualifiers. Um, like Freddie said, I think it's much more fair and much more optimal for competitive integrity if you have a ladder system and people play 5,000 games in a month because you're 100% going to find top eight players in the world if people have, but people don't have infinite time. And that's not the most fun system, I think. It's a boring system, but it, <laughs> it's the most optimal and the most efficient to find the best players that play Gwent. So um, I think the qualifier system makes that kind of like a 
middle ground where you still have to get top 64, you still have to play ladder, but you have to play qualifiers now. And having a different ranked ladder system altogether that doesn't include pro ladder would make it even more casual in a way, but more fun as well. So that's kind of the balance that I think every CCG has always had between um, casual, fun, unpredictable, and not as uh, competitive and not having the same integrity or very uh, high competitive integrity, very fair, but kind of boring because at the end of the day, you're just playing you know, numbers and values and you can kind of solve the, the equation pretty quickly. Yeah. I would like to circle back to what BJ said about the relegation system. Imagine being so trash at Gwent that CDPR tells you you have to play in the second division. <laughs> oh, that would be that would be interesting, actually. Yeah, that's kind of the normal ladder, no? <laughs> it is. It is, especially especially on my level. I would I would say that's like the very amateurish local level. I, mean, I, I quite literally got relegated this season <laughs> to the second division because I was 570 yeah. instead of 500 and I have to climb five more ranks, which is not a fun exactly, thing. Exactly, exactly. It kind of feels the same. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, I, I think we, we've exhausted the topic of competitive play or, or, or yeah. Gwent in general. And there is a couple of questions that we've gathered um, the last couple of days uh, relating to what you do outside of Gwent. So, with that being said, we are moving to the Q&A section of yes. the, um, the podcast. And I think the first question is going to be, what's the story behind your friendship and the move to Warsaw? Do you um, <laughs> well, Freddie obviously qualified to most tournaments, and I was casting most no, tournaments. No, 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 Panda, wait, 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 wait. you're telling this wrong. Okay. So, <laughs> once upon a time... Panda was a streamer, he was a Gwent streamer, and he really liked Gwent, and he was playing Gwent, and me too, we were both streaming Gwent, it was, uh, when was it, it was, it would have been closed beta, probably, maybe the beginning of open beta even, that, yeah, quite a long time ago now, and, um, yes, we were both streaming and playing, and then once upon a time, okay, I already used that, sorry, um, and then there was a Gwent Slam qualifier hosted by Life Coach. Uh, actually, before that, there was a Gwent Together tournament, which Panda went to. And uh, yeah, I saw him at that tournament. I said, wow, good job, Panda. Uh, very cool. Percent. And at that, yeah, at that point, I think we knew each other. We were probably acquaintances in some form. Um, you know, probably played each other on ladder. I think I have a memory of uh, playing against Panda, playing some dumb, dumb deck, some Scoia'tael nonsense villain threaten the trap. I still have a memory of it. And that was when he was back on Xbox. Anyway, uh, <laughs> or, or whatever, PS4, I don't know if he was. Xbox, uh, Xbox. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Panda kind of scrubbed out the, the first Gwent together a little bit, unfortunately for him. Uh, but uh, then came the opportunity to qualify for the first Gwent Slam, and uh, I qualified for it, and then Panda qualified for it as well. And we were the two qualifiers for EU, I guess, or just in general no, i don't know no, we those, just the, those two qualifiers we yeah so we both qualified to the uh to the gwent slam and that was where we first met and from then on we were great friends <laughs> i'm gonna make a quick incision uh <laughs> take into account that when closed beta was happening freddie was a very young 18 year old guy and when was, he no, first when he first started deck building and streaming and became known in the community, my first impression was this guy is a fucking asshole. <laughs> 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 Completely on. I told you before, Fred. 
Okay, that's true. Merchant thought this. You were like a very, I don't know. Arrogant. Like, yeah, very arrogant, very like, <laughs> you could tell you were 17, 18, you know? Right away, I was like, I don't know, 23 at the time. So I'm like, this guy, I'm not going to talk to this guy. <laughs> but over time, I've known Freddy as, as a person better. And he, I think he's also evolved possibly in the past two, three years a little bit. And now we're good friends and we're living together apparently. So <laughs> that's the end of the story. I mean, we have to see proof, right? You have to walk to the other room. <laughs> Do I have Do to I... go up these stairs? I think you should. Yeah, no, I, think I think you, I think you can come here, Freddy. <laughs> you go down the stairs, so it's easier, right? It's less effort overall. <laughs> and we have like a we have a better mic here. It's like the snowball, so it's uh, Omni. Yeah, whatever uh, yeah, yeah. Share podcast, guys. Share podcast yes. confirmed. But he's he's not gonna hear you guys. I guess we can share. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Hello? Hey, Freddy, Hello. how you doing, buddy? Good. Long so time no back. see, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, long time no see. This has never been done before. <laughs> but that's the general uh, story. Uh, not on this podcast. No, it's never been done before. But since you guys are stand, uh, right next to each other, any plans to organize a community event, maybe in Warsaw, where you actually live? Um, I'm not sure what the demand for that would be or how many people would sign up to it. But yeah, possibly. Also, I think with the next event... We probably won't be um, at a hotel. We'll just have our flat, obviously. So there might be some community shenanigans happening in said flat. Um, after with people party. After parties and the like. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned for some behind the scenes videos, maybe, but maybe I'm not. So we'll see. BJ looks like he's having a rough time. Yeah, Freddy looks like it's, it's his back hurts or something. Yeah, I'm having like, a crap. I'm, I don't know what's Don't break. Sitting on your lap. Oh god, no, that's that's that's, not, that's a not, meme. I think I, it's it's the sequel of the you know it's hard raising your kid tweet. <laughs> oh wow! But what uh, were you gonna ask me? Yeah. Yeah, BJ, uh, more Q&A questions. Yes. Um, yeah, what, what, the kitchen. Any suggestions for cool cosmetics? Or you can go back to yourself. <laughs> okay, guys, I mean, now, we, now we have 30 seconds to trash talk Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> so as I was saying, he was a little piece of shit when he started playing Gwen. You could tell right away. But he's evolved over time. I think I've, <laughs> I've become his dad and he's become a very nice young, young child. I mean... What, Freddy? What were you saying? Hello? Hello, Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a question from uh, Lionheart. Uh, do you have any suggestions, you both, huh? you both, do you have any suggestions for a cool cosmetic that Seedbrick Tourette could offer as a part of the crowdfunding items? I think they should do a picture of Panda's face as one of the avatars. With a signature, otherwise I would not buy it. Yes. <laughs> Um, oh, on a more serious <laughs> note, I think a card back is obvious. Like the Gwent Masters logo on a card back is like, I think the, probably the first thing they think about. That's cool, actually. They could also do a team stuff, like Team Aratusa stuff. They could do player stuff. Um, maybe not the faces of the players because that might be a bit weird. But yeah, they, they could kind of work on like avatars with the players' faces. That could be like interesting in a weird way, but interesting. Um, oh, and maybe like titles of some sense, maybe not like the exact name, but like a nickname for certain players or like, I don't know, like tailball, like some kind of like robot thing that you can make the connection if you're follow the esports scene and stuff like that. I don't know. They can get creative cool. with it, but 
I think there's a lot they can do um, with titles and avatars and card backs. I mean, and... CD Project could even uh, uh, evolve the players themselves. Like, what do you mm-hmm. want? Uh, what was an yeah. avatar or like mm-hmm. as a card back, like a personalized card back? Because in League of Legends, for example, like when you have these teams, when they win worlds, they get their own skins and they can personalize yeah. it. I think that's a great idea, man. Yeah. yeah, and it kind of ties in with the idea of uh, the money going towards the tournaments, right? Yeah. Pretty mm-hmm. logical link to make. You buy a, an Adzakov thing and then... <laughs> Actually, I think there should be a, an item in the shop that would be very expensive, but it would allow to turn yourself into a card. So, you know, they are working on expansions oh. and they release so many cards every expansion. So maybe that could be a thing. Like, you can buy it for an obscene amount of money and they're gonna, t- and they're gonna turn you into card. Card, kind of like Bouja was turned to a card, and Luigi and and Austria, and allegedly, yeah, a- allegedly, <laughs> Macbeard, which is actually not true. But yeah, maybe maybe that could be a thing, you know. That that would be a huge, like influx of of money that could support <laughs> tournaments. But you, so you're saying the only people that could get that card have to buy it? Yeah, and no, no, what I'm saying is. You pay CDPR and they take your ugly mug and they turn it into a card that's going to be released in the next expansion. Ah, okay, because otherwise you get these uh, discussions about pay to win. Like, oh man, mm. the Freddy Babes card, that's too good, man. <laughs> <laughs> you bought it for money. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a great idea. Yeah. It's, it's, it's only about art. Like, you would basically, you know, get turned into a card that will be released next expansion. I mean, that's cool. I think having uh, like exclu- like every tournament obviously is going to be unique in the way that it's like when the first open of season two, if they can tie it to like a certain theme or a certain like, I know CSGO does stickers for different events and you know, it's like IEM Cologne 2015, whatever, like an exclusive thing. They could also do that for certain card backs or titles or like something cosmetic related and also make like the viewer rewards instead of being like a shitty bronze card, have it tied into the cosmetics as well or like tied into, I don't know. Some kind of yeah, esports related cosmetic as well. Yeah. Mm, looking at the Q and A questions, um, actually, I'm gonna turn these two into one. If you were in charge of the development process, what would you change in Gwent? And this, I guess, includes transplanting features from other CCGs. Like, let, let's say that you know tomorrow, Jason Slama says, "Fuck this shit, Freddy, you're now in charge." <laughs> oh boy. Um, I don't know. I don't want to like trash talk the the devs because I feel like I've done that quite a lot in my past. <laughs> However, uh, um, I feel like yeah, maybe there needs to be like some more focused sort of design direction. Like as we were talking about earlier, a lot of the times things change and it's like really counterintuitive like they make a change to a card and then they introduce a card that causes the same problem or like they introduce a mechanic that uh, incentivizes something they've already said they don't want to incentivize uh, in the game so you know sometimes it seems like the design direction is a little bit confused or you know maybe there are different people working on different aspects of an expansion and not kind of uh, linked together uh, you know properly um but yeah, I guess that's that would be that would be it. Just have a bit more cohesion going on and a bit more direction generally. Hmm. Yeah. Would you want to involve the community in that? 
Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's cool. That's cool. I think overall, um, when I look, when I think about development in card games and and how it goes, like the process that that they could be taking to develop certain things and how they get to certain cards to exist, um, I think Gwent is doing a, the team is doing a pretty good job um, in development in terms of their creative uh, kind of like the thing they introduced that are kind of like out there in a way. Like for me, it's very hard to think of, I don't know, uh, Syndicate as a faction. Yeah, exactly. Whole, and just thinking like, oh, I'm doing this game. Let's just create Syndicate from scratch. Like, well, how do you even get there, you know? But when it comes to the more minor, like uh, math-based development and, and balancing, I think that's where they could improve. Because I, I look at certain cards and I, told, I said it before, like the spring cleaning kind of thing. There's just certain cards that don't make sense. Like literally just change these points or these provisions a little bit. And all of a sudden you have a much more a card that makes a lot more sense so mm-hmm. i think they could pick it up in that sense but that's also a thing of at the end of the day gwent is a business and they want to sell flashy cards and they're going to focus on the new expansion and they're not going to look back at old cards that much it's not they can do it like a, a ton of work balancing all the old cards but and it'll make the game way healthier probably but it's not going to sell card packs yeah. it's not gonna and it's gonna confuse there's also like a big thing with making a patch note all of a sudden that has like 200 card changes like that's also like a, a issue when you're like trying to get new players into the game stuff like that so it's not all that easy i think it's not just like a change the values and that's it there's downsides to it but i think once a year won't hurt you know to just have a huge overhaul of cards that aren't being played and and, and changing a few of them mm-hmm. yeah i mean it makes that makes sense and they could apply this concept to many more things like the partner program like we've been talking about a little bit but maybe they could review the program see like who should be in it or what the requirements should be, like how should it be changed, and what new things should be added to the program. You know, that could be a thing that they could do like once a year. Yeah, I mean, that make you see other uh, companies do that as well, right? Yeah. So. yeah, it would be cool to see some like streamer tournaments as well. <laughs> uh, I know from oh, Tappan wow, they've been yeah. doing a lot of those, and I mean, it feels pretty good if you're a streamer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to play in streamer-only tournaments. Obviously, it's not very fair for other people, but. Um, I mean, you know, that makes if they sense. need to market in that way, then yeah. it could be a thing. But... but it will be nice for the streamers, right? Because yeah. not mm. every streamer like myself, I don't have that much of a shot to compete. So mm-hmm. to compete in like a streaming tournament, I might have a chance, you know? Yeah. And like most people streaming Gwent, in fact, probably everyone apart from like maybe Pumpkin, I don't know like maybe there's a couple of other people who can actually support themselves off of it but if you're not on a team and you're streaming gwent it's like there's not really a way it's going to be better than working a minimum wage job in terms of like a career right so you know just giving a bit of support to to people who are willing to stream your game might be might be an idea but you know i don't think the financials are particularly great for gwent considering yeah yeah because i think they used to do sponsored streams to did they uh, yeah they had uh, they had crip doing doing gwen streams i remember yeah like i mean it's nice right but yeah, yeah i think but i don't think it has any lasting effect it? yeah yeah okay. but what will have a lasting effect is android release are you gonna are you guys gonna play or are you maybe already playing on ios like how do you see mobile gwent is it something you you would like to play more is it something you'd like to see develop more or more like a, like a sidekick to proper Gwent on PC. I've been playing on my iPhone, but um, not very often. Kind of only 
if I need to grind some games and <laughs> I'm out, there's nothing going on. But yeah, I, I don't really, you know, play it that much. But it's cool, I guess, to have the option. Yeah, I have an Android phone, so I've been looking forward to it. Um, obviously, right now, Tepid, for example, has been my go-to like mobile game. If I'm like on a train ride or even like when I'm doing workouts in the afternoon, I can kind of have my phone and play at the same time kind of between sets and stuff. So um, it gives me that option. And if Grant were on my phone, then yeah, I probably would play it a bit more. Um, and it would give me just another option, like Freddie said, to, to play it when you're not just at your PC. BJ, do we have any more questions? Because uh, we are already 30 minutes over the mark. Yeah, we are, man. We are. I mean, a question for Pana by Antihealth. Um, are you scared of having to remember every leader ability? I know you already said a couple of times, like, I'm here ability or like uh, Francisco ability. So, yeah, <laughs> you are still struggling with it. <laughs> with yeah, there's a lot of cards that uh, I don't know the name of personally, <laughs> but because they're not played. And I just obviously, my, especially as a caster, when you go into a tournament, especially once you have a deck list, automatically, if the cards aren't in the deck list, they have no value in my life. I don't want to know their names. I don't want them to be in my head. And it's the same <laughs> with leaders. There's some leaders that aren't played and haven't been played in all of Homecoming. So I have no idea what their like, actual like, physical, like name, I know what they do, but not their actual name. It'll be the same for tournaments. I look at a deck list i look at all the different interactions and possibilities and every piece of knowledge that i need to know to do my job and if it's not relevant then i just won't learn it so the leader abilities will be the same you'll probably see a few of them obviously i'll memorize and learn all the names yeah. like i like i usually do and that's it basically but right now i've had if you tested me on like 100 different card names with like obscure cards i wouldn't get a very good grade probably <laughs> <laughs> okay well okay one last question did you guys gain the card back? Oh, did you, did, you, did you get the card back? Because I heard that, did yeah. you guys gain? Like, what? <laughs> no, no, no. Did you guys gain the card back? I get the, the card back, yeah. Or the, the... Yeah, the, 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 the card backs related to the winter event. No, um... scraps and all. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I'm not super huge on the cosmetic stuff. It doesn't really do a lot for me. Um, but... And I also forget, I mean, when I saw it come out, like I got the first snowman and then I would play 20 games and after 20, I would remember, oh, wait, there's a snowman I have to be killing. So, yeah. <laughs> it was also like during the break, I was kind of gone, not playing Gwent for, for yeah. two weeks, basically. So I did not get the card back now. I got some titles and stuff, but that's it, unfortunately. Yeah, me too, man. Yeah. I played the little snowman in a, in a wild hunt helmet or whatever. So that's pretty epic, <laughs> but... <laughs> I don't have the card back. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay, guys, any closing statements? And Plux, where can people find you if they need to? Mm. I'm hard to find. I'm really hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> you can wait for those streams on twitch.tv slash impetuouspanda. Sometime. Not sure when, but maybe you'll get a stream. It's, it's a stream of a certain frequency. <laughs> And then I'm on Shoot, Twitter with yeah. the same the same handle on Twitter. I don't tweet very often either, so Which I'm not someone... a very yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm on Twitch, Freddy Babes, but I probably won't stream very much. So. <laughs> it's all good. You should go check out uh, Trinet. 
or Spyro, or who's someone on Team Rankstar? Weisenberg! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Freddy, oh finally God. recognizing my existence. Or oh, Baby Joseph, guys, okay. <laughs> I, like, I can, I I can just that. imagine Freddy like, after after the podcast telling Panda, like, who, who are these guys even? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're shouting out the people that created mm -hmm. the podcast that people are already watching. I think they know about them if they're uh, watching the true, podcast, true. you know? Yeah, yeah, I think true. it doesn't make yeah. much sense. I, I mean, the story. That, you know, when people go, there will be people that will replace those people, you know? Yeah. So that that's why we are here. We are here to... <laughs> the future the future yeah. of the new streamers you know yeah <laughs> Though i do remember the first episode with bebo and at some point somebody in chat said who are these guys Bebo, what are you doing with these guys <laughs> i mean it was the first episode yeah i can imagine we were not that known but i think we are getting we still are not but that's okay no, after having freddy and panda on the show i think we are back on the map as i said already my mum is a big fan Oh, she he, said he actually she said that before the podcast. Yeah. He did. Okay, BJ, where can people find you? Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitch and Twitter, uh, Baby Joseph. So that's that's basically it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, sometimes you will find an article on Team Rankstar. At some point in the future. At some point in the future. It's been in the works for almost a month now. Yeah. Gotta take my time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You have to you have to perfect everything every single bit of that article. Exactly. I don't want to get accused, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, you don't need to look for me very far because you are on my channel. But um, I'll take this moment to actually say a few words about the podcast. If you would like to stay in touch, also off stream, you can follow us on Twitter at Novigrad Podcast. Um, if you want to get access to early announcements, you can join our Discord. And if you want to watch this episode or one of the previous episodes, uh, they are all on YouTube. You can just type exclamation mark podcast and all the links will be in the chat. So I think that's it for today, guys. Thanks for being oh. here. Thanks for uh, the discussion. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah thanks for having us. Much, yeah, we'll rate somebody in a moment. Uh, that, that was supposed to be Lionheart, but Lionheart is not available. That's come. Mm. So we will rate somebody else. So once again, thanks mm. for being here. Thanks for chatting with us. See you guys later. Bye bye.